you were saying that, that most of your journeys were social and this was, I assumed that you were going to say this was a very isolated. Well, my journey started to be more isolated. Okay. You know what I mean? But this one was more the most, by far the most isolated um, because I, you know, like I wasn't going to like bring like love supreme back to the fucking <laughs> jam space while we're you know like in the middle of like you know it's like hold on all right i'm not fucking weak oh i'm not it's like hold on like love supreme what if what you know what i mean like i don't on the one i i can't decide if love supreme of of the things on this playlist if that song would be the best or the worst choice because of that vocal towards the end where he's just going Love Supreme. Love Supreme. <laughs> hey, Love dude. Supreme. That, Love you Supreme. can't... <laughs> that... <laughs> you better... You, I'll, I will fight <laughs> over... Put some respect on his name. I will fight <clears throat> over, over all things having to do with that. <laughs> Fair um, enough. Episode 18, recorded January 14th, 2022. So you were asking me about something. Oh, oh shit. Uh, so we've got you've got that Roland. Uh, what is it exactly? VS sixteen eighty. And it it's like a digital. Re- yeah, it's re- from the early two thousands, and it was it's sort of like a whole. It's a it's a it's like an all in one recording studio. station. Yeah, basically. basically. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So sixteen tracks simul. It might not be sixteen tracks simultaneous recording, but maybe sixteen tracks mixing. Yes, that's it. That seems right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was eight tracks simultaneous recording. Um, so, and it's, it's been sitting in the corner of your garage for who knows how long now. And Yeah, yeah, because I, I said uh, I was set up the camera, and I was like, what did we do before touch screens? And you said, enjoy the tactile. And I was like, we used fucking data wheels is what we did. Yep, that thing, iPad, or iPods, old iPods. Oh, yeah. The old jog wheel. I never had one of those, but... But yeah, like the data wheel on that fucking. So that's what we recorded the the all severed record on the second one, or I guess the last one. And so, I I can't throw it away. I can't. It's it's too because I, I just spent so it's I spent so much time with my hands on that fucking thing, and the learning curve on it was so stupid high, just to be able to. I still have a piece of paper somewhere. Um, where I did all the cuts because, right. so I don't know if you remember this, when we tracked the drums, so the way we recorded that is we did the, me and Jeremy sat there and he had, was like went in through like a pod, like a line six. Um, yeah. I forgot about that. As like a DI. Right. And so he sat there with headphones on and played beside me while I tracked the drums. But there's a lot of space and a lot of pauses and stuff like that. We weren't using a click track, so I like clicked my sticks together. Right. Okay. With not the most consistent tempo. Um, but then when when it got time to mix, it was like, oh my god, what the fuck are we gonna do about all these stick clicks in here? <laughs> and um, what I figured out was that if you cut off, if you leave the first little bit of the stick click in there. Right, uh-huh. so if when you cut the wave, you lay just that little bit, uh, it give it like an- it gives an anchor 
to it, like to your ear, and so it doesn't stand out. It sounds like an effect. It sounds like a, you know, huh, um, like a ch- right. But if it doesn't have that little oh, only cl- of the first click, right? Only on the first click. But if you if you take it off before that, it's just a hard ch- and it and it and it stands out in your ears because you know I would like hit symbols to like oh you know bucket took a bucket took a Right, and then I would start, bah, click, click, click to hold right. this all this space. But right? any of that ambient noise that was that was already going it gets cut off abruptly. Right, right, right. So, so the symbols over overhang and stuff like that. But it, it, if you stop it on that on that downbeat and leave a little bit of the click in there, it get, creates this little audio illusion. That's cool. Yeah. Um, but now, with having a visual interface, that would be. Very easy to oh oh I see I see the wave I see right where it's at I could click 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 highlight delete done moving on um, I, I was not able to do that because you didn't have a mouse you had a data wheel right and so I had to write down all of the times and then use the data wheel to like okay I'm going to cut from here. And there wasn't like an external you could you like you couldn't like plug up a monitor to that no, right not to there that was a little one. LCD on the thing right? yep. yeah yeah you couldn't plug up a monitor to that one the next model later you could right and um, so yeah it was just bullshit so, <laughs> so it's, just, it's, it's it's sentimentality that's making you hold on to it oh yeah it's not like I'm gonna fire the thing up the thing <laughs> stopped working a long time ago and th- to be clear uh, for any long time uh, followers of events like this this is a different one than the cat piss one. Yeah, the cat. So These yeah, are two different. Yeah, so we recorded, uh, all severed recorded euphemism or later retitled "Carry Me Home" in two thousand five. On this particular Roland VS sixteen eighty, and then a few years later, um, Buff Wayne would record, um. What did we call that? Bigger, bigger than most things. Bigger than most things. I was just looking at that that CD the other day. I, I was talking about it earlier today. Um, I'm I'm still really proud of the the packaging and the art that we did on that. I f- still feel bad for 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 what I for sort of like dumping this on you. Like you know, computers figure <laughs> all of this out. <laughs> it's a good it's a good learning experience. I never got to use those skills again, really. But <laughs> here we are. Yeah. Now now that I've done more packaging for CDs and things like that. Now I, I understand how much work was involved in that, that I just like sort of, Hey Robert, this is what it should be. Well, so the, the layout and everything was the easy part. The The tough part was like, cause I drew the CD art. Mm-hmm. I just like hand drew it and that was fun. No, I didn't hand draw it. I did it in uh paint. Mm-hmm. I just, I, I, the teeth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks so good. It's fu- I think it looks fucking cool. It does. I, I really think it looks it cool. Does. I'm, it I'm does. I'm actually proud of it. Um, but yeah, that was like a really fun thing to do. Yeah, I do remember that was whenever um, there was tension between us, um, between you and Josh. And so Josh didn't want to kind of finish his end of the deal. Oh, and, was that what And happened? like kind of finish giving us the artwork. I didn't remember that. So I had to kind of go and like strong arm him a little bit. Not strong arm him, just I had to keep bugging him and being, you know, about it. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but he was really helpful with the um, with the all-severed art later on. 
mm-hmm. you know, when we the re-releases, yeah, yeah the re-releases, right? Uh, um, but uh, but shit, yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, but yeah, so we recorded that on a Roland. Um, I think it's called a twenty six eighty, or something like that. It was just like the 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 bigger version of that and whatnot. And yeah. that one you could hook a monitor up to and have a mouse and shit like that. Right. Yeah. I remember that. Um, but that recording almost got stopped because a cat pissed in it. And so then we <laughs> like had to like all over it. <laughs> yeah. Like ruined the board inside. And so we had to uh, pull it out, I'd replace the hard drive. You and... pulled the hard drive out and somehow figured out how to extract the data. And we finished it on pro on pro tools. Right. 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 So some fucking like half a year later, yep. Some some bullshit like that. So, yeah. Um, Man, yeah. That 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 one was still sitting in my mother's garage when they demoed it a few months ago. Yeah, because they were like, yeah. they were like, "What's up with this?" I'm like, "Oh, dude, that does not work." <laughs> you don't want to. You don't want to fuck with that thing. No, I remember taking that to like the Roland specialist here in here in town. Yeah, Evans Music City, and I was like, yeah, you know, da 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 da, and and he he was gone for like three minutes. He came back, he's like, dude, the cat hosed this thing. It's done. I was like, God, and I was so mad at the person whose house it was because you know she was like, oh, well, cats don't do that. This cat wouldn't do that. Like it was just a complete like, just complete dismissal. Of the yeah, idea. right. Yeah, like what? What mm. do you mean a cat would pee on something mm. that was foreign to its environment? Are you? You know what I mean? Like it was just anyway. It was, yeah, I was. It was. I was pretty irritated about the whole thing. Mm. But yeah, anyway, yeah, like touchscreens are awesome. Uh, <laughs> I I go back and forth because there are some things that I really really like them for. Maybe what I mean is that that Roland 1680 sucked. <laughs> I'd get behind that. <laughs> That's maybe what I really mean. 100% behind that one. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, I spent the uh, better part of today while I was ostensibly working, uh, reading the fallout from a famous voice actor having... Uh, announced his partnership with an NFT service. Okay. Uh, and is it like a famous gaming voice actor? Okay. Uh, you played Bioshock Infinite. I did. The dude who voiced Booker DeWitt. Oh, okay. That guy. He, he voices a billion characters in a billion games. And today he was like on Twitter, starting up a partnership with this NFT company. Who's like, they're, they're you know, he didn't say this, but like you go look at their Twitter account. It's like two months old. And they're spouting just like the most inane bullshit. Mm. And I was like, what are you doing? And, but anyway, afterwards he was like, you just want to, you know, everybody's got a story to tell and just want to tell their story. I just want to tell a story. And he was like, you can you can hate or you can create. What do you, What's it going to be? <laughs> and then everyone, like the entirety of Twitter who isn't NFT bros just fucking dogpiled on him. And it was, oh, man. it was a thing for most of the day until he came back and he was like, Hey man, I just want to be part of the conversation, man. I just want to, you know, just trying to get my voice out there again. I just want people to have their voices out there. And it's like, man, look before you leap sometimes. So what do you think's up with that? What do I think's up with that? Yeah. Like, why did he do it? Yeah. Uh, I, well, I don't know. It, it seems like he's probably kind of a uh, opportunistic dude, which okay, fair. 
I mean, if you're a voice actor for anything, mm-hmm. you're going to be pretty opportunity. You kind of need to be to survive because that shit's like not a sustainable right. line of work. It's a, the gig economy more or less, unless you're super, super big like he is, which makes it kind of weirder that he would jump on that sort of sure. thing. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but also people just don't know what NFTs are. Mm-hmm. And when a company comes to you and says, you know, your your work, your voice oh. can be can be commodified in such a way that, you know, okay, you know, all I get it. The now. shit that NFT people say that 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 crypto bros say about this shit. Yeah, I I, I get it. You, now you can be you can be sucked into it or suckered into it, as it were. Right. Uh, if you don't really know what it is that's going on. So you think that they sort of. The company just was like, "Oh yeah, let's get Booker DeWitt." Uh, I think it was and... a, yeah. I think it was a mixture of I think it was a mixture of them going out after big names, probably, mm-hmm. and then him not really understanding fully what it was that he was getting into, and also him just wanting to make more money, probably. Yeah, it sure. seems likely. Sure. Yeah. 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 Which uh, I mean, you know, there's nothing like nothing intrinsically wrong with, you know, if if you can get yours, then get yours. Like. But if it's going to be at the expense of, if it's going to be via NFTs, maybe don't get yours. Yeah, because that's I, I don't I don't understand enough of the, about NFTs to sort of speak intelligently about it. But my understanding of it is that it's is basically like kind of a scheme. Um, it's a pyramid. It's a pyramid scheme. It's like literally a pyramid scheme like people are like you have a business partnership with someone and then you buy like someone buys the nft back and forth to sort of push the value up until some sucker basically buys it i mean that's what's been going on for okay for a couple months now is that i mean whatever the stat is now is something some something to the effect of because you can look at the dollar amount like there are this many dollars worth of nfts Uh out there owned by people and then this huge percentage of that is owned by it's like the it's like the the economic disparity of the country you know sure the vast majority of the wealth is owned by a small percentage i it's, see it's the exact same thing i see and the people who have who have driven those prices up are the people who want it to go up because it'll sell for more right it's all, it's right. all speculative it's nonsense like, oh man how how wonderful you've like made what we already have but but kind of worse yeah <laughs> Oh, cool! Artificial scarcity. I'm all about that. I can make money off that. That's a, that's all that it is. Because yeah, if you don't know what a Ponzi scheme is, you know that's that's what this is. That's it's yeah. convincing people to spend money on something. Because what's the, what's the classic like the diet pill Ponzi scheme or like selling knives door to door, whatever the fuck it is. Okay. Like you give you give somebody a thing and say, all right, you pay me. How does it go? I'll give you I'll give you the stuff to go sell, and how you make money is you sell it, right, right, and, right, and right, you'll right. get money. But what you actually need to do is get more people to sell it, right, right, and right, so, right, right, right. It just goes down and down the chain. So you make this NFT that's not worth anything because it's they're in, intrinsically worthless. Uh-huh. Uh huh. You know, and and you say, here you buy this and it'll jack up the price. Because you'll sell it to some other sucker. Yeah. And that's all that it is. It's just an endless chain of that. And the people who started it, they made money at some point. And that's, that was the whole goal. 
it's it's not about protecting art or or intellectual property or right right and which, I think I think that's how a lot of it is pitched is like oh well and maybe there are a few artists out there that are are able to make uh, money with it or there make... absolutely were especially at the very beginning when a couple of people like here's an art NFT of one of my pieces oh it sold for a few thousand few hundred thousand bucks sick. I would never would have made that otherwise. Right. And right, that's right, cool. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah, they yeah. got paid, but like But it's not like only the people who are creating pieces of art are the ones who are selling NFTs. No, now. absolutely not. So And not only that, but they're like horrendously uh expensive in terms of resources. Mm-hmm. Like they take so much more electricity than you could imagine to run Right. Depending right. on depending on the type of blockchain it's on. Uh-huh. Because they're different if you don't know, well, that's, that's a lot to get into right now, but there, there's proof of work and then there's proof of stake and proof of work requires calculations to be run to add to the blockchain that exponentially grows over time uh-huh. and it will never level off. It will never go down. It will only ever get greater. <clears throat> and so as you know, it's only going to become more of a problem. And, and what's proof of state? Stake. Stake. What's proof of stake? Uh, I don't remember how they differ computationally, but I know that they require far less. They're they're less resource intensive. Yeah. But they're checking for different things is basically what it is. Right, right. I I think I – again, I don't don't understand stuff very well, but someone I know who who has been into Bitcoin for a long time like sort of brought that up as a a counter argument to the the electricity concerns of – and the, I cannot replicate this argument, <laughs> um, right? But I, I, it, it seemed to be that, like Bitcoin has been in a proof of work, work state, and or um, and then it will soon shift to a proof of stake, and that that will take less. Like, like a he, it sounded like he was saying that there's going to come a point to where the computational load is going to level off or something. If if enough of the different blockchain, because there are different blockchains out there, mm-hmm. is kind of what it is, and they're like you can get Ethereum or you can get blah blah blah, right? Dogecoin or you know all these different things, uh-huh. or uh, uh, maybe some of those are on the same, but I'm not actually, I don't know enough about that specifically to know for sure, but it kind of doesn't matter because as long as proof of work is the way that you're checking for it, it's gonna it takes a lot of resources. I see. Uh, and so you see a lot of companies like the one that Homeboy hooked up with today and then retracted, uh, saying shit like, "Well, right now we we do take a lot of resources, but in the future we're we're gonna our plan is to roll over to a less resource intensive way of doing things." Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what like most of them end up saying. And it's like, do you? I don't, yeah. Are, it's, are it's, you trying to make money this week? And that's it. Um, right. And it, it would be a thing if there was only, um, again, like my, a lot of my information or awareness from this recently comes from um, a few episodes of the show Behind the Bastards with Robert Evans talking about it. Great show. Check it out. Everything Robert Evans does is cool and legit, legit and well-sourced and all that shit. Um uh, but it, it seems like a big part of the blockchain cryptocurrency stuff or whatever is that there's on one level it seems it seems like a lot of uh, idealists 
you know, and like the philosophical ideology behind it seems very, seems very admirable and, and whatnot, but seems that's, that's not the people who have a lot of Bitcoin necessarily. And those are not the people who are making a lot of money off of Bitcoin or, or, or NFTs or cryptocurrency or whatever. A lot of the people who are making all, money off of it are, you know, kind of shady people. It's a grift. It's a, it's a big old grift is what it is right now. Sure. It's an expensive, both in terms of like getting into it and in terms of the resources that it takes. Right. Grift is all that it is at the moment. Whether right. or not that improves over time, that'd be cool if it did because there's probably some pretty decent applications for it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, 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 yeah, I don't really... I don't feel comfortable talking shit about it because I don't really understand it. But I, I, I can say that that I've like I've I've read a bit about it. Like I've read, I read Satoshi's white paper. I read a book of all of his all of the posts that he made, and I wasn't sold on the concept <laughs> from all that. Um, yeah, it's it's uh, the things that people are trying to apply it, uh, apply it. Things that people are trying to. The applications people are trying to use it for, mm-hmm. I guess is how to say that, uh, are not really w- what its strong suit is. Yeah. Like putting artwork on the blockchain doesn't do anything for you mm. because what you're doing is, I, from what I understand, how most of them work and kind of the only way they really can work is the thing that you put on the blockchain actually is just a link to where the artwork lives online. Whether that's on like somebody's private server mm-hmm. or like an imager post, right? It has to point to somewhere because the artwork has to live somewhere. Mm-hmm. Quote unquote live as much as a digital piece of artwork can. Sure. Or any digital file at all. So it, all the all that's on the blockchain is a link to a, to somewhere else. And that is what you own. That's the proof that you own, right? Right, right. And that can change. Yeah. So yeah, what you what I, you own is the receipt. You don't own the artwork. Right, 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 right. I, I think I understand what you're saying. Right. And yeah, like <laughs> now if you if you build something onto the blockchain, if you if you somehow built the art as part of the thing that you add to the chain, uh-huh. then that's a different story. But that's not what's being done. Yeah. Um, so everyone in like Twitter comments who just says, well, I'll just right click save your fucking NFT. What are you going to do about it? Are totally correct because there's nothing of value being done there right now. Right. And I, and I guess like maybe there's like some sort of argument to be made about, well, maybe they know that that's like that. Maybe they're aware of that or whatever, and that that's like beside the point. Or, but what, oh, they're definitely aware of it. That's why it's a grift. <laughs> I, I guess, like, <laughs> yeah, like I guess, like I mean, uh, you know, the people buying it or selling or whatever. But no, I, no, they're in on it too uh, for like, the most part. I think, but but the people who want it to be a, a thing, like an idealistic uh-huh. way about going going about things, yeah, that's. That's the part that's a shame because I think people do think that it is like 
we're going to decentralize ownership for this sort of thing. Right. And that's cool in theory, but that's just not how it works right now. Right. It might, you know, and it's a, it's a, I don't know, I almost wonder if there's some sort of latent concept in this about just, I don't know. I, I'd really like to to pick my friend's brain about it and see how he feels about it now. Because a few years ago, he was very much sort of a, a blockchain evangelist or a Bitcoin evangelist. And in a sense, <clears throat> you know, that might be too strong of a term. But he's very, you know, very much into it for for the you know the the social and societal change with which it could help manifest sure you know this idea of uh decentralized banking and whatnot yeah. I, and he was very attached uh to that idea and so and i wonder if he's drifted from that in any regard or or if it's or if he's you know or if there's sort of like this latent concept of do th do things does anything become shitty when enough people are doing it <laughs> like is that you know it's like or or is like is 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 blockchain bitcoin inherently shitty or is the internet inherently shitty or yes the answer is yes <laughs> <laughs> or did the internet just get shitty whenever there was very little barrier to entry and and whenever you know, uh, that's a whole other conversation. But <laughs> yeah, I, I, my answer would be like, no, the internet. No, shitty people have always been using the internet because, like, the KKK was on the internet in the eighties, <laughs> um, and shit like that. So no, the, I mean, the, the the answer to most of that is probably is like a a, a collection of uh, like an amalgamation of those are yes, sure, be, yeah, like they feed off of one another. What do you mean? There's not like a, just a simple answer for we just get to have yes or no. We can't just have all X is a bad and all Y is a good. What the fuck just, are you talking about? Yes, no, <laughs> and that's conversation over. Simple as that. Yes. There's this. Uh, I think his name is. I think the artist is named Josh Turner. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll look it up to make sure. But there, there's a song he has called something something like 1939. I think is the name of the song. But there's a line in there that says like simple answers are for uh, fascists and maybe teenagers. It's just a really, sure. It's just a really great lyric. Um, it's it's a that's that's a good succinct way to boil down uh, an otherwise difficult topic. Ironically, <laughs> yeah, right. Um, let me uh, just I, I just don't want to do this guy wrong because we went to we went to school with Josh Turner. I think we did. Now that I Frank think about Turner. it, Frank Turner. Frank, the, the, oh, the song, yeah, so we maybe. did go to school with a Josh Turner. Uh, he, he and I hung out and talked about Kiss a lot. <laughs> um, oddly, oddly enough, we like traded Kiss VHSs back really? and forth. Yeah, man. Am um, I thinking of somebody else? No, you're not. <laughs> okay, because I wouldn't picture that dude. Being no, a kiss. it's it's that dude because I was I was surprised too. Like we okay, were okay. we were in the in the locker room because he played football. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I played football uh, also. I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> you were in there to trade kiss tapes while he was yeah uh, yeah yeah, yeah. taking I, his pads off. And, and I don't know. Like, hey, Wooten, uh, so so you play the drums? Um. Yeah, man. Just think I about played, Peter Chris, man. I played, I played drums. He's like, well, "What do you think about Kiss?" I was like, "I fucking like Kiss." He's like, "Dude, Kiss is my favorite fucking band." <laughs> oh, hold on. No and, one has ever said that. And then, uh, and, 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 and then he like brought in like like the next day. You know, he was like, 
here, man. You know, like, are we talking like Detroit Rock City? Or are we talking like Psycho Circus? Like, what are we talking about here, dude? Or he I, ran the game. I'm gonna go. To, I'll go to bat for Psycho Circus. <laughs> okay. You know, honestly, I kind of like that song. <laughs> We're in the side. Dude, there's a few bangers on that fucking album, man. I this I will I I I don't like Kiss. I don't fucking like Kiss. I I I do liked Kiss. I do. I don't. I'm not like a Kiss army. Like I don't love Kiss. I'm not. You know what I mean? Um, but I like them. I definitely fucking like fucking like them. I fuck with some Kiss. I I certainly will. Okay. There's something nothing against that. I really really like Paul Stanley as a person. And as, and as a performer and whatnot, um, and I, I I respect Gene Simmons because Gene Simmons has always been very transparent about what he is. That's very true. Uh, if you're gonna go after it and be a shithead while doing it, and go after it at the at the risk of being the biggest shithead, well, there you it, go. It, I don't his shitheadedness never really bothered me, you know, because it's like he's not really because he he never really seemed like he was shitty to people. Like he was just, he just sort of like put on this persona for interviews, but you, I don't feel Mm. like I heard, you know, I never really heard him talking a lot of shit about other musicians and, and, you know, like kiss, you know, kiss brought Van Halen out on their first tour kiss. I I don't know. I didn't know that. I don't know, man. Like they, no, it's fair. I mean, like I I don't have the receipts. So if, to back it up, if the, if the persona that he puts out there is just of a shithead, then he did good job. He did his job. Yeah, I mean, he's just getting so, me to think that he's a shithead. He's just sort of always been like an unapologetic capitalist, I guess. You know. Yeah. Um, and but that you know, I don't know. I don't. I, so he's a fucking. He's like this. The thing that's great about him is that he he is what he is, and he's not pretending to be anything else. And I would rather. This is a bad example, but it's. I don't feel good about this example, but I'm going to use it anyway because I think people will understand it. I would rather have a big charismatic rock star type act like Gene Simmons than maybe then act like Bono. But I love you too. <laughs> I love you too more more than I like Kiss. I, I I celebrate most of their catalog. I love that band. I, yeah. I truly, truly love that band. Um some real push and pull going on there. But but you but the per, but but almost not even like Bono himself, but the 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 archetype that people think of mm-hmm. when they think of like, you know, like this kind of like abstract, aloof, think of the children, rock star, blah, blah, blah. I'm here to serve. I'm here to da-da-da-da-da. Whether or not that's actually Bono or not doesn't matter, but but that right. there's a certain archetype that people attach to him. Yes, you know what I mean. And I I prefer the Gene Simmons archetype. Of like, of course I'm of course I'm here to make money. Of course, <laughs> of course I'm here to sleep with beautiful women and make money. Um, there's some, yeah. there's something there's something like you know. I, almost comforting i guess <laughs> like you you you, can, you know what he's about yeah and 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 you have i feel like i have to tip my hat to him because there's no one else who's ever who's ever been able to sort of that i know of that's ever been able to like be that sort of like have a persona that's that upfront about all that and not come off as just fucking gross i would argue that he does come off as fucking gross 
Fair enough. <laughs> um, I mean, also, that was just the character. You ever see uh, Runaway with, with Tom Selleck? No. In the 80s? Gene no. Simmons plays the villain in that movie. Oh, wonderful. It's all about Tom Selleck and these little, like, uh, like spider robots that okay. do some, and, like, they inject shit into your neck. It's pretty fucked up. Okay. But Gene Simmons is, like, the mastermind villain of that movie. And wonderful. he plays himself, as far as I can tell. <laughs> just a complete, like, corporate shitbag. Oh, that's great. Uh, it's a great movie, also. That's great. Yeah, I... Yeah, I, I don't, I don't shit on, I, I don't. Anyway, kiss. Yeah, I don't, I don't give them a lot of. Well, there's a lot of people that like want to talk shit about them or whatever, but, uh, oh, you have kiss condoms and kiss literally. It's like, dude, kiss coffins, kiss coffins, and it's like, dude, people buy that shit. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 you can't get mad at them because people buy that shit. Um, yeah, I guess not. Yeah. And like, and this is the other thing too, is it's like if you're gonna be a millionaire. You know, and you're going to make a lot of fucking money. Having to fucking go out on the road and play shows is a way more honest way to make, to have, like, you're still fucking working. Yeah. So you're still, like, you're still, you still have to go do a thing. And also, let, let me be clear. I'm not mad at Kiss. I don't, I'm not mad at them for what they, for their, like, uh, uh, their, like, commodification of everything that they do. Like, sure. That is what, some what it is. Some people are. Some people, sure. s- some people are, like, you know. I, I just don't like their music very much for the most part. You you gotta find the there's a there it's it's all over the place. You gotta find a lane. You know, you gotta you yeah. gotta you kinda gotta like listen to a lot of it to figure out like, oh, these are the ten kiss songs that I really like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like there's 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 Detroit Rock City and then there's Psycho Circus, and that's kind of all I can think of at the top of my head. There you go, man. <laughs> and that's enough for me, honestly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, um but there's a I was trying to find this video of someone isolated audio of uh Ace Freely from one of their tours and he's just yelling the most like random nonsense and it's him just going all right <laughs> okay come on boston seattle let me hear some reggae or you know, whatever the fuck you know is it ace freely or paul stanley i think it's ace freely okay well paul stanley's a singer right okay i think it's ace freely though all right maybe i'm wrong okay maybe it's paul stanley I don't know. Maybe that's why I couldn't find the fucking video. There you go. There you go. <laughs> okay. And, and I, I must confess to uh, uh, another reason that that I I feel the urge. I'll be completely transparent here, but I feel the urge to go to bat for Gene and Paul at the moment is they've been very consistent during all of uh, the COVID stuff, uh-huh. and they've been very you know very consistently like sort of fuck fuck that Donald Trump shit. Fuck you know it's like. You know, wear masks, do what you're fucking supposed to do, you selfish assholes. All right. And I can get behind that. And I really, really respect that because I I know that I could about half of the people I've met that are serious kids fans do not vibe, would not vibe with that message. Sure. And so I like I respect having the fucking balls to say what you think about an issue without sort of like, well, I don't want to, you know, blah, 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 blah. Because as much as I like respect Metallica, for instance, like they are very, very intentionally. It's like not apolitical, with any of that. Apolitical. They yeah. are very, very, very intentionally apolitical <laughs> and they will not take an official stance on absolutely anything. Um, 
And I know that's a calculated move on their part. As much as I love them, as much as I respect them, as much as, you know, I have a lot of positive uh, emotions and energy to throw at Metallica. Yeah. That's the thing I don't, I, I kind of don't like. I would have. <laughs> that kind of checks out, I feel like, though. You know. That's not um, very surprising if that's the case. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, so this artist, Frank Turner, uh, there's a song called 1933. Uh, it's a great song. Go listen to it. He's basically just talking about sort of the rise of modern fascism and, you know, um, the lyrics are great. You know, out <laughs> the first time it's a tragedy, the second time it's a farce. I think that's a reference to, I mean, there's a book by uh, Slavo Zizek. However, you say that guy's name. I don't know. I've heard that quote though. Um, but the, the 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 very popular, the only popular leftist philosopher that exists, the guy with the beard, the weird dude. Okay. Slavo Zizek or Zizek. Or, okay. Uh, he did the the debate with Jordan Peterson. Oh, current day, you're saying? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe yeah. I don't know who this is. Uh, you probably do. But anyway, he wrote a book called The First Time is a Tragedy, The Second is a Farce. But well, anyway. if you'll remember, uh, back in, it was like 2003 or four, uh, one George W. Bush, no, George H.W. Bush, which one's the old one? H.W. is the old one. Mm -hmm. George W. Bush this guy. Uh, had a, okay, I've seen this dude and his name before. But yeah. I don't know how to pronounce it. Polish, I assume? Yeah. Looks Polish. Yeah, yeah. Um, George W. Bush said, uh, fool me once, shame on, <laughs> on, on you. Uh, fool me twice. Uh, it won't get fooled again. <laughs> so, shame, on, shame, on, shame on you again. <laughs> Is that what it was? Well, no, it was it won't get fooled again. Did he say that? That was his fucking oh, quote. Oh, god damn it. It, it. it was like, fool me once, shame on, shame on you. Uh, fool me twice. Uh, yeah, yeah, you don't get fooled again. Or something, you know, something rambly like that. It was basically uh, that. Don't. <laughs> don't always believe what you hear and see. <laughs> unless you see it for yourself. Amen, brother. <laughs> oh, One in the late, great Vinnie Paul. Oh, boy. Shared his wisdom. What uh, wisdom. Um, what wisdom that was. But yeah, so this Frank Turner song, 1933, first time is a tragedy, second time is a farce. Outside, it's 1933, so I'm hitting the bar. So he's talking about like rise of modern fascism and shit like mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, be this is this is the line. Oh, it's such a great line. Be suspicious of simple answers. That's just for fascists and maybe teenagers. <laughs> Man. Yeah, I want to hear this. I want to hear this in context of the song now. I'll go it's, look that up. It's a great song. Right. It's a great song. Um, but yeah, the, uh, so yeah, simple answers. So you mean there's just not a yes, no to is Bitcoin a good or a bad? Yeah. It is turns blockchain out. Is a good or a bad? Turns out, uh, it depends on the application. Turns out the answer is it fucking depends. Like every other answer to everything important. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like, that's the boring one, but that's the, also the, the, Objectively, God damn you, contextual knowledge. <laughs> like, uh, boy. So, um, well, within my context, I don't want to think outside of it. So I'm just, I'm talking. Obviously, I'm talking about it in terms of my context. What other, what other one matters? So, yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah. well, that might be as good of a segue as to, as any of contextual knowledge. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, to talk about what we're going to talk about today. So uh, we're going to 
talk about my early exposure to jazz music. Jazz. Yeah. Jazz. Hey, Mac Daddy. Um, so yeah, so I'm, I made a playlist for Robert. Um, and so the, the main thing on this, the context of this is that I, um, when I was in college, so my second semester of college, I got asked to join this, uh, sort of modern rock sort of jam band kind of thing. And they asked me to join as a percussionist. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, cool. Let me uh, rearrange my college schedule and take a few, take, take a few less classes. And I was like, oh, well, you know, I need a few more hours. So I'm still full time. Well, I'll take drum lessons. I already know how to play the drums. (laughs) I'll take drum lessons. (laughs) (laughs) I need an easy credit. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, maybe it'll be good. Sort of give me some good ideas on how to teach other people on how you know how to play the drums. Cause you can see what they do and then ape their style, but make it better. Yeah. So I mean, because I already know how to do this. You're basically professional. I'm basic. I'm 18, and I have taught myself <laughs> since I was 12. Teenagers, huh? You're never better. <laughs> so, um, so I went in. For the first first day of drum lessons with uh, at Lee College and the drum instructor from U of H, Joel Fulgham, was adjuncting that he would come out there on Fridays and teach drum lessons. So total crazy stroke of, you know, fortune, mm-hmm. right? So I have like one of the, like probably like the best at the time, like probably one of the best drum instructors in the fucking city. Word. You know? And he's like, okay, so I hear you already do gigs and stuff like that. And, you know, so you already kind of know what you're doing. So, uh, all right, so let's get started. So uh, play me play me a rock beat. And at this moment, um, I realize that I am so full of shit. <laughs> <laughs> that, <laughs> awesome. That I, I, I am amazed... It, it was like my true self was the was was like kind of surfaced. It was like, what the fuck have you gotten us into? We don't know how to do any of this. <laughs> and so I, I I play a rock beat and I'm like boom bop boom boom ba boom ba boom boom ba da da right? we will rock you something much. some yeah, shit yeah. like that. And so this this is 2002. Okay, we've already made like two psychomotor slash all severed demos. Uh-huh. You know like. I've already done so much crazy shit, right? right? We're writing what'll become, you know, 8125. Like, <laughs> but when a drum instructor says, play me what? a rock beat. Yeah. And I'm a what, boot. What does that bat, mean to you? Right. And he's like, all right, now play me another rock beat that's completely different. And I'm like, don't. Um, He's like, okay, play me, play me a Latin beat. And I was like, did like a cross stick. And I was like, click, doom, 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 doom. And he's like, okay, play, play me, play me some swing, play me some jazz. And I was like, ding, ding, a ding, ding, a ding. <laughs> and he's like, all right, now play a funk beat. I don't even want to imagine 
what, what, you, what it was you did. What my interpretation. <laughs> and, and I don't that that that's the one that I think I blocked out of my memory because I'm uh, blocked away somewhere. For, yeah, 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 yeah. If I like go on some crazy spirit journey, like someone blows dust in my face or some shit, that's the <laughs> thing that's going to come up. I'm going to have to watch myself play that whatever quote unquote funk beat. You know, you're gonna walk down a dark hallway in your mind and unlock that last door, and it's yeah. gonna be an old projector with that moment playing. <laughs> Just yeah, on loop. <laughs> um, and <clears throat> because I'm a funk drummer now, so I can't. It's probably like the most embarrassing thing. I get um, it. I get it. Yeah. And um, so he's like, okay, well, you understand that rock. Latin and jazz exist and that they are different things. <laughs> but first things first, you don't know how to hold the sticks. <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so thus, thus began the, the, the breaking apart of, of six years of, of bad habits and the rebuilding right. of, of Richard Wooten as a, as as a as you know, turning me into not just a a guy who could do some things on the drums, but a, a musician, right? Who played the drums. So that's all. That's all thanks to Joel. Awesome. So I'm I'm eternally grateful to that to that man. Uh, so, but in the process of that, so I guess after a few months of that, he was like, okay, so you're gonna join the jazz band here. I was like, oh, excuse me. And he was like, yeah, that's what you're doing. Um, and so I was like, well, shit, I guess I have to start listening to jazz now to, to learn how to play this fucking music. And so almost, <clears throat> I don't think I listened to hardly any metal at all, sort of in between 2002, throughout 2002 and 2003. Interesting. I, like I put the double pedal in the, in the corner and I just I just listened to jazz and and Latin music and and whatnot to try to immerse myself in that. Mm-hmm. And and I and you know and it was a lot harder at the time to sort of find a path through. You know, this is two thousand two. Um, Wikipedia didn't exist yet. Right, you couldn't just go on Spotify and you know jazz great playlist. Right. Let's right. do this. Like I, I had to go and buy books and like read about, you know, and then. <laughs> Where you can find jazz uh, recommendations in like a magazine or a book at the library. Right. Right. Or, or something. Right. Or, and and uh. Or I and, guess you could ask. Did you did you ask I, him? Of course was... I did. Yeah, yeah. yeah of course I did. Yeah. And and that's that. There's 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 a there's a bit there. Okay. Um. But, you know, like. And so, 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 yeah. So I, I was just sort of like set loose, and I, and to my own devices. And so there's this thing that happens when you're a drummer, getting into jazz, where it's like, oh, well, you need to listen to, you need to listen to the great jazz drummers, right? You need to. And, Here's and the it, curriculum, basically. I wish it's not that clear. Okay. It's just kind of like here's a list of the the best drummers or the most important drummers. Go listen. To things that they played okay go yeah. find records with them on it okay that, that is way harder and that actually we'll go we'll get into it later but that brings up a problem that i have with uh jazz and and uh 
inversely with classical music. So mm. we'll get into that later. Interesting. So, um, so yeah, and and I so there's sort of a so yeah. So anyway, um, I'm gonna switch out my headphones because these are slightly uncomfortable. Okay. Um, <laughs> they look a little uncomfortable, actually. They're yeah, tight. Yeah, yeah, they're 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 isolation headphones. So um, they're they're meant. So, but they're 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 great for playing drums because I'm doing other shit. <laughs> I would say just like switch, but I think my head's way bigger than yours. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just gonna grab another hair hair headphone. So, but while I'm doing that, okay, talk about your general impressions and how this thing hit you. Uh, so I was a little surprised at how much of this I just sort of knew already. No shit. Uh, yeah, whether by no shit. <laughs> he said no shit. Um, I told him he said no shit. Um, uh, whether by you know hearing it in I don't know like a grocery store or some shit these days, uh, or in the background of a TV show, or on the I don't know the radio probably back when that was a thing that they played jazz on. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was like ninety one seven I think. Played oh, yeah, yeah, a, yeah. a lot of cool like stuff KTRU. back in the day, yeah. Um, I, I but I think probably mostly through like uh pop culture osmosis, okay, is my guess. Uh, I had the, I have the list up here, god damn it, but yeah, quite a few of these I was, I was already familiar with, and actually, the first one right out of the gate, uh, Mercy, Mercy, Mercy threw me off really hard because <laughs> I was like, how the fuck do I know this? And what I know is the the version that the Buckinghams recorded in 1967. Oh, interesting. Which I, it, I can't fully tell from Wikipedia, but it seems like maybe somebody wrote it for them and there's like lyrics to it and everything. So I heard right. this and I was like, I know this song, but no one's singing. That's weird. And <laughs> well, and the, the, Buddy Rich would do a lot of arrangements like that. Right. Okay. You know what I mean? So like that was kind of like That makes sense. You know, like that was kind of like the, the one of the big band things is you take a you take a another tune and you sort of have a big band arrangement for it. Right. You know. Okay. Yeah, cuz this was 68 uh and the song came out in uh 67 from what I can tell. Um But yeah, that's a it's a great song. Uh and then yeah, just a lot of this stuff I'm like I know that part interesting i I'm, i recognize this tune cool uh so like i guess overall impression i i enjoy it uh it, it sits in a weird spot for me just very very generally of the sort of music that i don't tend to to put on to listen to uh it's more of a background thing mm-hmm. uh Despite the fact that a lot of what I do put on to listen to is very clearly jazz inspired, that's that's an in, that that is the jazz thing, right? I, I guess so. Uh, or or the jazz the, the jazz thing today here in in twenty you know early part of twentieth or twenty first century here you know twenty twenty whatnot. It's, yeah, it's twenty twenty two by the way. Yeah, in case you forgot, because <clears throat> I keep forgetting. I. In a lot of ways, I feel like I am still very much in 2020, April 2020. Yeah, totally. So, 100%. Um, so yeah, anyway, but by and large, I enjoy this, but I don't go out of my way to listen to it. But if it's on, I'm like, yeah, 
that's cool. But even even when I had this, so I listened to this twice all the way through. Uh, I was going to go back and make notes, like I said, and yeah. then I just didn't. I was like, I can just say what I need to say. <laughs> the, the, there aren't specific notes about this that I really need to make, I don't think. Right. Um, uh, well, maybe we can, we can get to that later. Anyway, I overall enjoyed it, yes. I, I, I'm glad. I'm glad because I – there's a lot of sort of <laughs> – a lot of the musical – there's a lot of musical journeys that I went on that were very social, right? Like on the, and, you know, like sort of like in junior high and the first part of high school, so much of that, it was almost like a competition of who could find a cool band or a cool record. And, you know, you go out and you find a thing and you bring it back and show it to your friends. I don't right. know if everyone else felt that, but I felt that. Like I wanted, you know, I wanted to go find the cool thing and bring it back to show y'all. I, I think I had a little bit of that in that I would, I always, I wore a lot of band t-shirts mm-hmm. when not many people were doing that mm-hmm. in, in sort of our grade. And so I got a lot of like, the fuck is that on your shirt? Yeah. I, I Fear like is your a- only God? What is that? Like in, in eighth grade? I remember you, I seem like, I feel like I have a memory of you wearing a Deftone shirt a lot. Yeah. I had a Deftone, I had a sponge t-shirt. Oh dude. Yes, all you sure fucking did. Right? <laughs> and, and I remember, I remember like, I think Renee Robinson was like, what's those teeth on your shirt? I was like, well, it's just an album that I like and you know, so on and so forth. But, yeah. But you know, on some level I wore it to get a reaction, but also sure. I just like, like the music. So it's a weird. Right. But right, it was right, that sort right. of thing. Like. Here's a weird thing that not many people know about. Maybe to ask me about it, I guess, was my way of getting them right. to do that, you know? Right, right, right. Like I, I remember getting into Slayer and I and like, you know, and I remember giving like a Slayer mixtape to CJ, you know, Menard Menard on like a band trip or some nice. shit like that. You know what I mean? Like I was cause I would make fucking mixtapes for people mm. all the fucking time. And I you know what I mean? And like that was how Jeremy got Jeremy's also the other, you know, the other guitarist in all severed. And so that's how, and me, me and Jeremy started playing our instruments at the same time. So our journeys were very much sort of step-by-step in parallel. Right. And, but it was very much like for the first few years, it's very much like this. Oh, you found a cool thing. Oh, I found a cool thing. Oh, you know, right. right. Um, and, and I really got into that and I, I really wanted to go and, find all the cool stuff. And then eventually it got to a point to where it's like, just people just didn't like what I like, you know, no one else really liked emperor in high school. No one, you know what I mean? People weren't, you know, um, and so it was sort of similar in college whenever I went down the, the jazz rabbit hole. Um, like I, I wasn't like bringing this music back to y'all. Right, so you, then, you were saying that most of your journeys were social, and this was—I assumed that you were going to say this was a very isolated. Well, my journey started to be more isolated. Okay, you know what I mean. But this one was more the most, by far the most isolated, um, because I, you know, like I wasn't going to like bring like Love Supreme back to the fucking. <laughs> jam space while we're you know like in the middle of like you know it's like hold on all right i'm not fucking weak oh i'm not it's like hold on 
like love supreme what if what you know what i mean like i don't on the one i i can't decide if love supreme of of the things on this playlist if that song would be the best or the worst choice because of that vocal towards the end where he's just going love supreme love supreme <laughs> hey love dude supreme, that supreme, you can't <laughs> that <laughs> you better you I'll, I will fight <laughs> over Put some respect on his name. <laughs> I will <clears throat> over over all things having to do with that record. <laughs> Fair um, enough. So, so yeah, that's what was sort of interesting about about this material is you know, and and a lot of it is really part of it is associated with me just like how the because I'm thrown to the fucking wolves by trying to. Playing in a big band is fucking hard. I would imagine. It is it is one of the hardest things you can do as a drummer. I, yeah, I was going to say, especially as a as a drummer, you're the anchor for the entire band. And your sheet music doesn't fucking make sense. Um, I'm, I might have some laying around, but um, whatever. What, what is it about it that doesn't make sense? I, I really hope that I have a chart somewhere close by. I don't, god damn it. Whatever. I did I did some big band gigs last summer. Oh, okay. So I, that's why they would they're in a binder somewhere close by. You want to stop the recording? We can start all over and yeah, we'll start this all okay. over okay. so I can prepare better. Prep. Um so what uh, so yeah, a, a big part of this this journey is is about sort of like going you know, interacting with drums as a craft. And not just drums as a, you know, bah, 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 bah. that sounds like how I feel, bah, 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 you know? Yeah. <coughs> but sort of like as it relates to the larger band, as you... And the history of the instrument okay. and, and, and all of it, you know? Like, okay. okay, well, how do I do what, how do I show up to a job, the job of being a drummer... The way that a fucking carpenter or plumber shows up, I'm like, all right, what's need what needs done? All right, let's get it fucking done. Right. And that's a very different headspace than whenever you're uh, a kid, a teenager, expressing yourself in your garage with your friends. Right. That's a very, very, very different. There's all sorts of you. You're gonna spend a decade trying to accumulate all the contextual knowledge that you need to inform those musical choices. Right. You don't have the tools at your disposal yet. Yeah. You don't have the technical tools, right? As far as like, like you, even if you knew what sounds to make and when to make them, your body can't do it. Right. Right. And, and then you don't have the, you don't have the, the musical tools. You don't know, you don't know, you, <laughs> you don't know what to do. You don't know when to do it. You don't know how to do it. Right. Or why you're doing it. <laughs> And so it it was just this huge – so a lot of this was me trying to just immerse myself in so much of this just so I just didn't feel like I was sucking at these rehearsals because it was like a community uh, jazz band. And so there were lots of old older people there who, who knew what they were fucking doing and then there was this mixture of college kids and some of those – some of those – some of those players in that fucking band were legit. 
Like they they had been, you know, like they were prodigies. Like there was this one dude, I'll talk more about him in the next episode. But his name is Joe Motter. And this guy's one of one of the best musicians I've ever played with in my life. Um and you know, he's like, Yeah, my parents decided to get me into music because I was I was four and I walked up to the piano and I tapped out the Knight Rider theme. So like he's just one of those guys. It's like, oh, right. you just get it. Right. Like you just get it. And this is just always gonna this has always been the thing that you were gonna do. Awesome. Not someone who had sort of like I had I had been playing for six years before I had had a lesson. Not because I didn't try. I tried to get the band director at our high school to fucking help me out and teach me a thing, and he flat out refused. He flat out said, you'll figure it out. <laughs> um, wow. Okay. Well, and this is while I was playing in the, like, stage band in high <sighs> right. school. Right. You know, which was another shit show, of course. But um, I had already quit by then, so I don't, I don't remember. That was probably the right call. I think so. Um, but, 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 yeah, so... So, 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 so yeah, so the, the, but the, the, the Buddy Rich song, I had gotten that way before the other ones because Buddy Rich is all over Modern Drummer Magazine and they talk about him being the best drummer ever to ever, ever. So I was like, well, so I went to Best Buy and bought the Buddy Rich CD that they had and it was that one and that was the first track on it. And, and I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm supposed to like this. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I guess I'm supposed to like this. And I listened to, I don't get me wrong. I listened to it. I, I, I listened to, I listened to this like yesterday all the way through just to, you know, refresh yeah. myself with it. And like that song, I'm, I'm air drumming to that one, you know? Oh yeah. Like, it's great. But like, that's the mindset that you go into in that situation is like, right. Well, I, I guess this is supposed to be good. I guess. And this I'm is supposed good. to know why. Right. Which is not a bad orientation to have no um you know because at least your your mind is open right at that point what else is interesting about the intro of of the buddy rich mercy mercy is the b he's playing there is a straight up uh that's very much like uh i think it's like cold sweat um but it's very much uh it's just a like you know like that that drum beat is straight up james brown and it's it's interesting to like like was buddy rich doing that on purpose was buddy rich did buddy rich listen to james brown and be like oh that's cool i like that shit or was buddy rich listen to james brown and be like oh fuck those assholes i can do that better I really don't know any of the above. I because probably, yeah. Buddy Rich was a notorious asshole, <laughs> so it very much could have been him. Just you know, like oh, this is apparently what people like now. Fuck that, you know. It, just no way of knowing. Oh, but he could. It also could have been like this joyous appreciation of James Brown. I don't fucking know. Um, yeah. But then the sort of the next the next group of it is 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 all after I started taking drum lessons and okay. stuff like that. And so... So that was like the one thing that you went out on your own, found, and everything else the, was... the only thing I sort of... I had experience with before I started taking drum lessons. Okay. 
Um, so that was before you even got into the... Yeah, that was like 97, 98 that I okay. got that oh, Buddy right. Rich record. Gotcha. It says that. Yes. Okay. And then the the drum lesson and, and getting involved in Lee College was like in 2002. Right. And so there's sort of a few strands there. And one of them is like, well, these are the important drummers. Go get shit that they play on. Yeah. Um, and so they like they he you know they tell you Art Blakey they tell you Max Roach they tell you Tony Williams they tell you Elvin Jones they tell you Philly Joe Jones, you know and I I could go on but you know your your big four that you're gonna guaranteed hear people talk about is Max Roach Art Blakey Elvin Jones and Tony Williams, and I can see clearly now that I understand the evolution of jazz music much better. Those guys are bebop, hard bop, and post bop drummers. That's shit that happened like 20 to 30 years after big band swing. This is like trying to sort of uh, learn how to play, um, you know, 50s doo wop covers by listening to Rush. (laughs) Yeah, technically everything you need is in there. Somewhere. Right, 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 right. But it it's it, it's not it's not a pedagogically sound way to approach, you know, learning how to make that music feel right. So why do you think that do you think that is because those were the sort of branches that 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 branched from that 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 big band style and got to these other sort of arbitrary endpoints? Um, that are different enough? It is a... Tell me if this answers your question. Okay. It is a... It is a failure. It is a... It is. A, it, there, there's two sort of opposite things. There, there's two important concepts that are kind of pulling in opposite directions when you're trying to teach someone how to be a jazz, quote, big band drummer, mm-hmm. right? One is the history of the instrument, and and so you want to teach them about the people who have changed the instrument and who have changed what is possible on the instrument and changed what the drummer's role can be in the music. Right. That makes sense. And those guys are a lot of the bebop guys. Like, that's, like... Like after Max Roach, after Elvin Jones, after Tony Williams, what a the 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 position that the drummer is allowed or expected to hold in the band and how involved they're supposed to be in the band is different. Gotcha. So you have sort of this responsibility almost that I imagine a drum instructor would feel that I would imagine someone would feel this responsibility to, you know, like here like here's the big shit right like let me i need to teach you about the most important guys who have changed the way that people conceive of this instrument right because if you're if you're teaching someone in present day that's kind of what they need to know like what what's expected today and where how did we get to where we are now yeah almost right and so but then it's also sort of this other side of like, well, you have responsibility to play this certain style of music, and so you need to know what this style of music needs from drummers, mm-hmm. right? 
And there's just there's a lot of moving parts there in the pedagogy of it. The other thing about it is that bebop music is really fucking hard to play. And it's the music where the drums really figured out a lot of what they could fucking do. And so if you learn how to play bebop music, which is a small group, you know, bebop and post-bop and whatnot, um, you're going to have all the coordination you need to play big band stuff. Right. You're not going to have the contextual knowledge. You're not going to have the stylistic knowledge. You're not, you know what I mean? Right. Well, that's where, that's where like the rush comparison comes in. Because if yeah. you can do that, then you can do this. There's a, it's a superset of the. Yes. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Like, but it, it doesn't get you there yeah, directly. Right. 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 And so what I should have, you know, and, and it's, I mean, the short answer is just, just fucking hard, you know? And then there's sort of another aspect, which is, um, you know, like drum literature or drum magazine uh, literature, which is all these guys are are talking about the drummers that inspired them to play, or the drummers that inspired the people who inspired them to play. Right. You know what I mean? And yeah, in the '60s, like like Gene Krupa wasn't who inspired a lot of people to play who were writing drum magazines in the late '90s and 2000s. Right. Um, Tony Williams was who inspired a lot of those guys to play, you know, like Tony Williams inspired Vinnie Caliuta, you know, like Gene Krupa didn't inspire Vinnie Caliuta to like pick up the drumsticks and shit. So there's that sort of generational thing, because these are drummers who, you know, like Gene Krupa was active much earlier than these bebop guys. There's a huge there's decades in between right. these. And, and there's a there's a there, I, in my ignorance, I was like, well, jazz is this one thing. Right, right. And right. it's not. There's like Dixieland, there's brass band, there's swing, there's big band swing, there's uh there's bebop, which is a huge there's a huge difference between bebop and and swing and big band. I'm completely ignorant of of these divides. <laughs> it's a complete chasm, if you will. Okay, cool. Um and because okay, cuz swing music <clears throat> big you know, big band and swing music, it's it's dance music essentially is, is, is its roots, you know, like the, the jumping at the Woodside track um, or, or, you know, like in the mood or sing, 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 you know, sing, sing, sing is the Benny Goodman track with the famous uh, drum intro with Gene Krupa, the, the chips ahoy song, right? <laughs> um, God damn it. <laughs> Why did that work so well? But that that's sing, yeah that's sing 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 right so that that's dance music right that that's music that's the song that knowledge made, accrued in the thirties that made someone want to fight or fuck like that was what that that's with good reason rock and roll of the day some rad shit right yeah. um and but it's 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 you know but then bebop was a thing that started to happen in the, you know, I guess it would have been in the mid fifties with like Charlie Parker and Dizzy Gillespie and whatnot. Um, I'm going to put a quick caveat right here, which is I don't have all this history at my fingertips right now. So I am not a go-to resource on this. I, so very broad strokes here. Don't, don't use me as a, <laughs> as an authority on any of this. Don't cite this podcast. But the thing about bebop that does that, what it does, it's very different than, Big band is it's small group, so you might have like four, five people. Okay. Um, 
you know, bass, you know, stand up bass, drums, uh, piano typically, and then, you know, maybe one horn, maybe two. Okay, so this is gonna be a stupid question, perhaps, but it, when when you refer to a group of musicians as a jazz trio, which is something you hear very often, yeah, is that just the instrumentation involved that you're describing by that? Because why why then is it not like a bebop trio? You know what oh, I mean? Oh, okay, okay, um, okay, I see. Well, because bebop, the term bebop is is kind of rigid, um, and so. Um, but, but technically you could say, okay, you could say that you could say bebop trio, just everyone says jazz trio. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of these things are sort of synonymous. Okay. That's um, fair. I see what you're saying because, um, but yeah, like what they're playing is, is bebop I, is kind of synonymous with our modern concept of what jazz is. Okay. That makes sense. So when we think of jazz, cause, cause this is how when when a when a small group is doing a jazz, this is normally what they're doing. They have they have the tune right. You have the lead sheet, um, you know, which might have a certain form. Uh, you know, an A section, a uh, a B section, then another A section, and right. the 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 band will start off and they'll play the melody. They'll play the head, okay, which is they they play the A section, then the B, and then the, whatever whatever the form of the song is. And then everyone takes turns doing solos. Right. And then they come back and then they play the head again, the A, the B or whatever. And then the song's over. Yeah. You know, there were several tunes on this playlist that did that. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I feel like that's a pretty common. That's what it is. Yeah. That's the style. Okay. Okay. That That's it. You know? Um, and so it seems so common now. But it was revolutionary at the time whenever people started to do that. And whenever – and then, you know, guys like Charlie Parker and Dizzy Gillespie were like pushing the complexity of that to the fucking nth degree. Yeah. With the harmonic complexity, the melodic complexity, the tempos because what was happening is there was a shift sort of, okay, well, we're, I'm not here to fucking entertain you. I'm I'm here I'm here to be an artist. I'm here to express the potential of music through my instrument that I've devoted my life to. I'm not here to make you shake your ass. Right. This isn't about dancing. Fuck you. Like there's almost sort of like that kind of attitude. And I think that's what people these days especially think of when they think of jazz. I think that's the sort of common parlance that jazz exists in. Yeah, you, 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 yeah. Like you don't, and then, you know, and then later on you have like smooth jazz, which is just jazz with the edges rounded off, so it's it goes down easier. It's you like know? a jazz sphere, more. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. It's it's not challenging or angular. You know, it's, it's like Kenny G is the only thing I could think of. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, but a lot okay. of stuff that I've played could be considered like a lot of the sections and stuff in Small Deal could be accused of being smooth jazz <laughs> adjacent, uh, if you will. Goes down um, smooth. Yeah, it's jazz-ish. It's like, oh, here's some jazz chords or some jazz licks, but you don't have to think too hard to enjoy this. <laughs> right, right. Um, it's more that digestible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really digestible. And so... 
but the philosophy of what a small bebop group was trying to accomplish and what those emotions they were trying to pull out of an audience um you know in the 50s and in the and then in the early 60s is very different than what a big band was trying to do right and that was lost on me for the first part of this journey maybe because i'm so damn literal and so fucking stupid <laughs> um stupid in my own particular way so well fuck i didn't know that till right now so <laughs> It, it, yeah, it's it, and for whatever reason, it's and I think that's another aspect is, is for it for us in the musical tradition that we grow up in, and because there was a huge, there was a crazy fucking thing that happened, um, in predominantly white households that in the late '60s, where our parents stopped fucking listening to their parents' music. Yeah, or their parents didn't fucking listen to music. I don't fucking know whatever um but like for us it's like musical history starts with like elvis or the beatles right like 20th century music starts in like with rock and roll that that becomes zero point yeah. right and i don't think you know there's i i can't speak to this because it's not my experience but i know that like hip-hop artists grew up listening to jazz records you know what i mean like that's the, that's the thing you hear like Nas's dad was like a jazz musician and shit like that and so mm. he grows up with all that sort of stuff around so it feels like there's just there's just the like the 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 connective tissue of 20th century music goes back further if you're if you you know if you didn't grow up feeling like the beatles started music i'm willing to bet that with that observation, it, it it probably has something to do with, like, the necessity for music to exist in your household. What do you mean? Because if you're doing well and things are cool, maybe you don't need to, like, you don't need the escapism of uh, music to some that, extent. That might be a little racist to say. You think so? It might be. Um, hmm. but because it's sort of implying that, you know, well, well, you know, black people are having a hard time, so they need music, you know, da, 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 da. And, and I, I mean, maybe, man, maybe, but like, I, it, I, I almost look at it from the opposite direction of like mm -hmm. more people were listening to it before. And maybe if you're, if you're more comfortable, you just kind of stop. I I don't I don't think so. I don't mm. if I I think that it's I think that it might have more I mean this is extremely speculative, right? Right. I don't so, know. So is this, yeah, yeah. Right. I have no I idea of all the like sort of cultural, you know, wheels and cranks going on. Right. But I know that the important music of the fifties and the forties that was played by black artists, which was most of the important music that was happening, if not all, right? I know that my grandparents wouldn't have enjoyed listening to it, especially if they knew that black people made it. Hmm. And so take take that, take for that what it, you know. And whereas I, I, well, I guess like, <clears throat> I think that for whatever reasons, that 
growing up in the kinds of households households that we grew up in, the socioeconomic backgrounds that we grew up in, we don't have an innate sense of the musical history of the 20th century before Elvis or the Beatles. Right. And the the reasons why, who knows? You know, that's going to be difficult to speculate. Yeah. Um, I, but I, and it, it seems that, yeah, I got, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't really want to try to like speculate too much. I don't but, know. I guess, I guess what I'm trying to get at with that is like, I, th- I feel like the reason for that is because to me, looking back at that time, it became less about the music and more about the spectacle. It became You're talking about like Elvis and the Beatles. Yes, it sure. Be- it became less about what was being conveyed by the music and more about this is a pop spectacle now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sure. And I think that's more what people sort of glommed onto. For sure. And and maybe it's just that that got more people in general to pay attention to some music. Well, it's, it's that the, weren't before sure. paying attention to any music. Well, and it's the it's the baby boom thing. It's the it's the post-war prosperity aspect as well. You know, it's all that shit as well yeah. happening. I guess like it also goes against my argument, but anyway, yeah. And well, and it's the and it's also sort of like my fucking mother's parents grew up on farms and shit. Right. Like, like I don't know what music culture existed, if any, in that family. Right. So, you know, like, like, like my grandmother loved the soundtrack from Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Uh huh. For that, I think, for that, for that, partially for that very reason, was because it reminded her of things she listened to when she was young. She was born right. in like 36. Gotcha. So, yeah. <coughs> I don't know. Yeah, so I guess like all of this, it, it get I. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's a it's a tricky thing to try to sort of. I didn't really ever thought about that, but that's. I I know that it's a thing that I grew up with this sense that like well the music that happened before. 1956 or or before you know Elvis and the Beatles was just like whatever it was. It's like, oh, some old timey shit like that. Da, da, da. And I at least for our generation, I think that's pretty apt. Yeah. And 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 I I don't think that I'm going out on a limb to speculate that that is for racist reasons on you well, know one way or the other, probably. Via institutional racism or or cultural or whatever that um you know slight or overt that I did not have a concept that black people were making important music. And I guess that's, that's really what I'm that that's sort of really maybe what I'm trying to really, the point I'm really trying to stumble into here is that I, I didn't have that sense yeah. growing up. And sure. it's like, well, what do you mean? Like the important music is uh Beatles and, and Elvis and Led Zeppelin and black Sabbath and, Pink Floyd and this is all the important music, right? Yeah, you I know, mean, I don't and we probably don't want to get too too further into this, but like, if you, I that's also very like surface level. I feel like because even if you get into, if you just look one micron deeper, you're, you're like, oh, Little Richard, oh, Chuck Berry, <laughs> oh, and huge like pop names also. Sure. 
But then what do we, you know? Yeah, sure. What does sure. that really prove? Nothing really. So. Well, I mean, it's, yeah, that's a, the, the, yeah, that, that's, this is a subtle thing we're trying to, I guess, articulate. But, yeah. Um, so, <laughs> racism it, exists. It's the <laughs> blah, 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 blah. Turns out it existed in music in the 50s. Uh, yeah. And, and it certainly affected my perception as a young man of 20th century music as a whole. Uh, absolutely. Same. Me too. Yes. There you go. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> um, yeah. And so – so and I think that it's 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 that sort of thing that makes it very easy for us to sort of be like, what do you mean jazz was a thing that started in this time and like grew and evolved and because you didn't have to explain to me when I was a teenager that rock music from the eighties sounded different than rock music from the seventies. <clears throat> right. You didn't have to explain that to me. But here I was here I am, you know. Here I was in my in in college, and someone had to explain to me that jazz music from the fucking sixties sounded different than jazz music from the fifties, from the forties, from the thirties, from the twenties. You know, yeah. Why? Why did I assume that just no evolution and growth and pushing of the art form occurred? You know, until the white people I knew of picked up instruments, right? Whatever. Yeah. Anyway, this is all very. I'm in, I'm off in the weeds, so. But yeah, let's 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 dig into some of the tracks, I guess. Okay. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so 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 the first, <laughs> I was like, well, Miles Davis is important, so I went and got a Miles Davis greatest hits fucking CD, right? <laughs> Which is so stupid to think about, like greatest hits. Um, of Miles Davis and to think about like well you're going to listen to these <laughs> songs some of which are made decades apart and then you're going to have a sense of what the fuck is going on um, and Miles Davis' career is so so crazy and so prolific and so amazing in so many ways it's you yeah. could we could do like four podcasts just on Miles Davis um but these are some of the tracks that stuck out to me. So I put uh, So What um, from Kind of Blue, which is like the best-selling jazz record of all time. And and so this song is generally the song you play for people to, like if you want them to have a good first experience with jazz, this is almost always the song hmm. that you play. Okay. Um, and it's not really a bebop song. It right. doesn't have the like. Here's the tune. Da, 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 da. It's modal. What's called modal jazz, which I don't understand enough about that to really explain it well. Okay, I was gonna ask because um, I don't know. It's based around the modes. <laughs> That's all I can tell you. And it's and it's not. Here's the melody. Solo over these changes. All right, you solo, you solo, you solo. I mean, it still has the you solo, you solo, you solo, you solo. Um. But what was interesting to me going back and revisiting some of this was sort of really comparing the and, – and if anyone listens to this playlist, I really suggest what you do is to sort of take note of who is soloing at each time and, you know, like listen to a Coltrane solo and then compare that to a Cannonball Adderley solo on the next tune or compare that to a George Coleman solo on the next tune and sort of, because that is sort of where the real art is. 
in this. And that's something I haven't really understood until, until recently. And you can, you don't need to be able to articulate it, you know, but, but the, these different musicians, they have a different feel, right. you know, when they solo and you can tell when fucking Coltrane solos, because the shit is everywhere. <laughs> like there is a, there is a religious fervor <laughs> the way that he like attacks the saxophone like he is you know he he's like a like an inspired um preacher you know like he is he is he is always going for it in these in these recordings yeah. in in this era you know I, and you, and you can tell like it stands at such stark contrast to some of the other like saxophone solos um and whatnot like the like the the solo on like milestones like the next track like it's very it's very it cannonball goes down a lot easy you know a lot easier than sort of like whatever the fuck coltrane's going for (laughs) so i mean i feel like as a guitarist that's a pretty uh it's a pretty simple concept to 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 latch on to because you typically hear about or experience even like two two guitarists can pick up the exact same instrument mm-hmm. and sound completely different. Right. Right. And that's, that's a very common thing. Uh, and maybe it's to do with like the voicing of the guitar and, uh, where it sits. So like in the, in the, in the register, uh, mm-hmm. I don't know exactly, but it, that's a common sentiment anyway. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, especially when you sort of have, you know, the, you've taken and i guess like that's kind of the, the 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 thing about jazz is that you have the it's it's the form and no form right like you gotta and that was the thing that that joel talked about a lot was that like he didn't have a lot of respect i mean you know and he was a little bit of a at the time i took some lessons with him later on and he had sort of softened up a bit but he was a very sort of like you know, kind of like your typical old head, straight ahead, cons- you know, like kind of very like the, this is the right way to do it. And this is da, 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 da. And, right. um, like he didn't have a lot of respect for people who could, it's like, okay, cool, man. So what you can like pick up the fucking horn and, and just kind of go for it and make some stuff that sounds cool. So fucking what? If you can play outside of the changes, it doesn't mean anything unless you can play inside the changes. The changes meaning the the chord changes mm-hmm. of the tune. Right. And that was at the time for me kind of like a really kind of like a philosophical conundrum to try to unpack. It was like, well, if it sounds good, it sounds good though, right? You know? And so like this idea of it only sounds good if I know if I can parse out your intentions and and that of course opens the door to a lot of like fuckery elitist gatekeeping right because the question there is like like you say if it sounds good it sounds good if it sounds good to the end listener right Mm -hmm. then whatever yeah because that's all they care about if you're coming at it from the perspective of a drum instructor or even just a musician i guess if you can play within the changes, you're showing that you know what you're doing. Right. And I think that's part of it. There's like, you're proving that you can do it. 
Well, and and then in but in his 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 thesis was that it's okay for you to play outside of the changes if you can play within them. That's what I mean, yeah. You know, if you can like, prove that you can do it, then go for it because you've already proven yourself. Right. Right. And it's yeah. and so there's there's a is sort of a it was, it was problematic for me. I, I, I had a hard time wrapping my head around it uh-huh. because it's like, well, it, it, it put up for me being the very literal, you know, kind of person I was, it put up these like, well, how the fuck will I ever know if I can play inside? <laughs> so how will I ever, how, when am I able to fucking find my voice in, and express myself in this fucking language? Uh-huh. And and I don't feel like I was ever I was able to effectively do that until really recently. Okay. Um, so how do you feel about that now? What do you mean? How do you feel about what he said about that? Um, his his take on that. Fuck, I don't know. Um, I I because like I get it, but again, like it depends. It's contextual. Like if you're coming at it from a mus- musician standpoint, then I totally see his point. Yeah, it's kind of like because um, you're that's all you're doing at that point is proving that you can do it. It reminds me of so there's that that saying right, less is more. Uh-huh. Okay, um, which my my caveat to that is like no, more is more. <laughs> um, <laughs> my caveat is the uh, exact opposite. So now we have one hundred percent of the possibilities. <laughs> but 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 more. Well, less could be less, I guess, as well. But more isn't always right, I guess. Okay. Uh, and well, the original statement didn't say anything about being right. It it didn't, right? <laughs> and and so that idea, because you'll run into that that idea. I don't know as much now, but for a long time, you would always run into that. Um, less is more, man. Less is more. Less is more, man. And it just depends, yeah. It, it right, it just depends. And so, but less is more should never be the modality that you are using when you are practicing. Like you should be when you're practicing your instruments, especially if you are trying to practice in a way that you can play with other people. You you need to be accumulating as much headroom, quote unquote, as possible. Yeah. And and what's what's going to serve you better? What's going to serve you better in the future? Learning this song and learning to solo within these changes, or are you just going for it right now, and being able to express? Your, yeah. Okay. Cool, man. You expressed yourself very well today. At you know nine thirty p.m. or whatever, you good job. You expressed yourself. You made a sound that sounded like you felt. Um, it sounded good, cool. But how right. is that going to help you on the gig tomorrow? How's that going to help you sure. on the gig uh, m- next month? How's that going to help you grow as a musician? Right, as a musician, exactly. And how is that going to help you serve the music that you haven't heard yet? Right. Right. Because that's the other thing. And that's why jazz musicians are always the best fucking session musicians. in My experience, um, because they've spent so much time having to just go by the seat of their pants. But within these changes in this very sophisticated way that 
they are just masters of being present and reacting to the music. And so, like, you just fucking give them a set of headphones and give them a fucking chart and press record. And everything they play is going to be musical and it's going to be in time. It's going to be in key. It's going to be reactive to what's going on. It's going to almost all be usable. Yeah. And it, and you don't get that from from all kinds of musicians. And not not very often for sure. Yeah. Like the way I see it is the way the way I view what you just described is like you're build, building up your tool set. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what you have to do in that situation because that's what that situation calls for. Right. And then it can be used however you need it to be used. Right. Right. And so so yeah, like I I don't know, man. It's a it's a tricky thing. And, and a lot of but, people, go ahead. But like you said, as a musician, I think that's still the key point there. Is if you're coming at it from from the perspective of a musician, that matters. Mm-hmm. If you're not, then it doesn't matter anymore. Well, and it's also sort of, you know, that doesn't really like when you're there in the practice room with your instructor and he's like, no, we need to go through this song again. Because while you were soloing right there, you lost the form. Mm-hmm. It's it's about the, you know, it's about the discipline, you know, because that discipline and being able to stick to that script is going to allow you freedom later. Mm-hmm. And so I guess in a sense, I agree with him, but it's, it's a, it's a matter of perspective, right? And sort of the yeah. way that he pitched it was almost as an audience member, which is bullshit. <laughs> so like if you as an audience member are sitting there, like listening to a group, do a jazz and, and you're is that like, what he said? Do a jazz? Or is this you saying this? This is me saying it because oh, yeah, I yeah, think yeah. it's silly. It is um, okay, go. go ahead. Um, Proceed. And you're listening to a small group do a jazz and they, you know, and this soloist is in the moment and the audience is loving what he's doing and he's going for it, blah, 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 blah. And then in the middle, like you can tell because you, you, you know the tune, you know the changes and you know he's kind of drifted outside of it. And blah 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 blah, but it's in the moment, and it's inspired, and blah 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 blah. Right. And then you go, you know what? That's not good. <laughs> then fuck you. Like, yeah. See yourself out. Fuck it. You know, Agreed. Fuck you. Agreed. Um. And because there's shit on this playlist that does that in my mind. It absolutely <laughs> does that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it absolutely does that. Okay. And because I'm like, what the fuck is this shit? Where is are you, the, where are you going? Are John? you fucking up? Did you leave the room? <laughs> yeah. Are you playing with somebody else now? Yeah. Okay. Looking at you, John. <laughs> Looking at you, John. Uh and so so but as a as a sort of and I think that that is maybe and this is the other thing that's like really tricky because when was I taught this lesson? Fucking 20 years ago. So I'm I he he'd probably be really pissed. Listen to this right now, because he was like, "I know that that is not how I fucking meant that." But he was a <laughs> shithead, eighteen-year-old, and couldn't understand how the fuck was he gonna understand what I was trying to tell him when he couldn't even play a goddamn swing beat. <laughs> and oh. so, you know, so that's sort of like the kind of yeah. the kind of the thing. But there is a there is sort of a, a thing that a lot of people. It's less so now, but for a while, like, I think because a lot of us ran into these kind of jazz instructors that were sort of 
you know, very rigid and very like, well, I'm going to teach you how to play jazz because that's the real music. That's the real stuff. And then if you can play jazz, then, you know, if you need to play some of that other shitty music for money, you'll be able to. Mm-hmm. That's sort of the attitude. And that's real gross and shitty and stupid and not not an inspiring environment to be in. And so, um, but that was kind of like the environment that those guys grew up in. So it's just, you know, but what's cool now is that jazz and for past several, maybe past, for a while now, everyone's understanding that jazz is really about fusion now. And and it's about taking this rich tradition of jazz and and infusing it with other things and letting it still, and, and letting other things influence it. Right. You know, and so it's, whereas, you know, like there was some, some weird opinions about modern music <laughs> at the time that, that I Back heard. Back then? Yeah. Gotcha. That I heard that you would never hear someone say now in a, you would never hear like a, a, a music instructor say now. Um, but yeah, so like, so, so, so what now? I forget the exact exact mark that it happens at, but you know, about I guess about like maybe two minutes in or sort of whatever. There's one of the best crash symbols in the history of drumming. Um, if you know the song "So What," you know you know what I'm talking about. But it uh, it is just the most beautiful. It's just the most perfect, the most perfect hit of a crash symbol has ever fucking occurred. Um, yeah. In interviews, he was like, I was afraid it was too loud. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, and so the next track is Milestones. Um, that has... Yeah, this one I also instantly knew. Interesting. Okay, cool. Uh, I don't know how, but yeah. Um, so, yeah, you've got Cannonball on alto, Coltrane on tenor. Their solos are quite a bit different. You have Philly Joe Jones on drums. And so Philly Joe, it's, it's interesting to me how each of these drummers seem like just such a different character to me, um, just from their playing, you know, Jimmy Cobb is very, very just like, I'm going to give, I'm going to give this song what it needs. Like he's very sort of supportive and present. Uh-huh. Um, He's not going to overshadow anything, you know, Philly, Philly Joe Jones is a little more sort of like, hip and I guess sophisticated with his comping um, but still sort of very like you know very sort of present I guess uh, I mean present is not the right word but just he's he's digestible uh, I feel he's understandable okay. he's, he's still supporting the music very much oh, god damn it they're all supporting the music this is tricky shit to talk about yo I'm so sorry um <laughs> Uh, but yeah, Philly Joe is great. He's he's really known for incorporating a lot of rudimental vocabulary into his soloing, which you don't re- you don't really hear. It. There's not a Philly solo on there, but mm-hmm. anyway, you can't go wrong with listening to anything that Philly Joe Jones has ever done. Um, and the next one is Seven Steps to Heaven. So this is Tony Williams, which you've heard me talk about Tony Williams before, because he was the one that I compared sort of Joey Jordison to. Mm-hmm. And so Tony Williams is a big fucking deal. Because this track, he did that when he was like 17. Wow. Okay. And he arrived at 17 and being like a fully formed artist somehow. And so he's like playing 
he is approaching the drum set and music differently than other drummers have. Right. And it's very much like, keep your own time, motherfucker. I'm playing drums and I got <laughs> shit to say here. Right. I'm not here to I'm not here to help you make sure you know where you are in the fucking song. I'm not here I'm not here for you. And and at bef- 17. And before that Damn. um before that a drummer was judged by how well they served the rest of the music. Right. You know, and and Tony, I mean, and this was like a gradual change that sort of happened throughout Bebop because, but, but you know, like, you know, but but Tony is sort of the, the figurehead of that, the sort of the the, the genesis of that, perhaps the 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 end point. Oh, okay. If you will, he is the culmination. Gotcha. Okay. Of of drums for drums' sake, motherfucker. <laughs> okay. And and so and you can even hear it. You can hear it even then in the earliest formation, earliest version of of his approach. So, and then you got some Art Blakey, which is great. Art Blakey is plays a style of bebop called hard bop. Okay. Um, which is a little more blues based, and it's just a little more. It's a little more. I don't know how to say it. It's just a little more meat and potatoes, I guess. Like just a little more, little more. I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't. I don't feel confident <laughs> making these generalizations. This, again, this is because all I'm doing is telling you shit that I've read in a book or seen in a documentary. This isn't shit I experienced, you know. Um, so I'm gonna back up for a second. Because uh, I made some notes too. Uh, um, so um, something I wanted to mention with these tracks. So on mm-hmm. that milestones, so yes. there's like in the outro, there's like a flubbed note that like Miles has in one of the runs or whatever. Okay, like on the melody. Right, and it and it brings up sort of an interesting idea of how these tracks were recorded, which is very in very much contrast to sort of how we think about recording and how we grew up thinking about recording, where it's like these are just five dudes or however many dudes in a room, and they just did a fucking take. Yeah, and they might have done like three takes, and they just picked their favorite one to put on the record. Right, not even the best one, just the one that they like the most. Right, 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 right. And it's like, oh, well, that note, I fucked that note up there, but that fucking solo that you did was ripping, so that's the one we're going to fucking take. Right. There was no, like, chopping shit up and and stuff like that. Yeah, and maybe more to the point, not even any intentionality behind, like, that fucking messed up note worked. I'm going to keep that. It was just, like, something about this worked well enough that we want to keep it. Yeah. Right. And, and... And so it's just, uh, I think it's something to like keep in mind that, and a lot of these bands, man, these these groups, they weren't like well rehearsed. Like these aren't, like they didn't like have a few weeks of rehearsal before doing the record. They showed up for the date. Like these motherfuckers just sounded that good all the time. Yeah. It's, it's a different, it's a different fucking level, you know? Um, 
Seven Steps to Heaven would have also been my first exposure to Herbie Hancock, which would be really important to me later on. Um, the Art Blakey song is great. Um, and, and so the thing about art styles is it's just, it's just a little more his, – his style is just so much more forceful. Like there's just – when you listen to it, like there's just no guessing. You just fucking know where the beat is. You know where – Sure, there it is. And also, he was the leader of that band, so the way that he's cueing everything is just very much like, hey, motherfucker, you know? And that's another thing that's funny is you can – I call that Buddy Rich tune. If you listen to it, listen to it with headphones. You can hear Buddy yelling Oh, before transitions, nice. you know, like – or like whatever, and then you hear, ah! <laughs> You know, I think okay. I think I did hear that then, and just didn't realize what that and was. You'll you'll hear that all over this kind of shit, you know, because that's kind of your job as a drummer is to cue the band and stuff like that. So, um, uh, something I enjoyed about the Art Blakey tracks specifically, there were that they were introduced by uh, Pee Wee Marquette, uh huh, who I knew beforehand solely from the uh, um. Shit, what was the name of that band? Us Two? Us Us Two or something like that? The mid-90s sort of student jazz band that miraculously had like a huge hit with a cantaloupe. Oh. You know what I'm talking about? No. If you know that song, because the song itself, that, that track is introduced, it's got like a clip of Pee Wee Marquette introducing it. Okay. And he's talking about like, Welcome to, to Birdland this evening. We got a recording for Blue Note Records. Mm-hmm. And then they, they played their, their song. Okay. It's a fucking awesome song. But that was like one of the weird like jazz-inspired tracks that I was into when I was like a kid. Okay. Because it was on one of those, uh, I think it was on one of those Buzz Clips collections. Oh, okay. TV things. But uh, yeah, like I knew him from that. How about that? Right? It was very strange. And so when I heard this, I was like, oh shit, is this that clip? But no, it's just that he always sounds like that because it's fucking Pee Wee Marquette sound. And I had to figure that out. I, I I don't know what you're talking about Completely at all. Completely different uh, approach I, to I, this. I wonder if it's I wonder if they were playing Cantaloupe Island, which was a perhaps which was a Herbie Hancock tune. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I, th- I think they actually I think that's right. That's it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so that yeah that that's interesting. And so like this, so there was this Art Blakey. The, uh, Wayne Shorter is also in the group. And also, so like another thing that Art Blakey was known for was he was sort of known for kind of cultivating hot shit musicians and sort of like giving them an opportunity to sort of learn their craft and do all that shit. And then they would go on to be sort of prolific artists in their own right. Right. You know, because Wayne Shorter is like one of the best saxophone players ever fucking lived, you know. So is Lee Morgan. Um, who played trumpet on this on this track? You know, um, and and Art Blakey did that. Like he kept doing that. He did that. In the, he did like that in the seventies and eighties and shit. Like Wynton Marsalis played with Art Blakey, you know, and shit like that. Um, sorry if you don't know who Wynton Marsalis I is. I don't know who that is. <laughs> um, these are this is a different universe for you. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I went to like an evolution records there in Baytown. Yeah, where the hell was that at? I can't remember. Um, it was over there off of um Alexander. So old Baytown. Yeah. Uh 
sort of on one of those like buoy. I think I don't know why that's what I'm thinking of, but okay. Um, just one of those side streets there, like fucking records slash head shop, you know. And um, but yeah, these were the two fucking two of the jazz CDs they had a Max Roach CD called Carduba, which is out of print and re released as Mop Mop, which is not on Spotify. Um, and uh, and I was wondering why you didn't uh, include any of that. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, and I I found them on YouTube, and they're all just kind of really obtuse and weird. And so I was like, uh, I don't know if these would be the best anyway, but gotcha. Um, but yeah, and those were the two fucking so so again, this is in this sort of like period of like, well, let me just go fucking listen to important drummers. Uh, you know, I still don't, I still haven't like found the fucking script, you know, I man, I still don't know what the fuck I'm doing. And I'm still trying to sort of like with no context and understand what this fuck is. Just let me try to absorb this shit by osmosis mm-hmm. and whatnot. Um, but yeah, so there's the Max Roach tune. Um, so this Max Roach is a sort of, a, it's called for Big Sid, which is a reference to Big Sid Catlett, who is an important swing drummer. And so, Max is Max is one of the most important drummers of the 20th century um, because he really brought a lot of respect and sophistication to the instrument. And so what he's doing here with this solo piece is he is playing like an A section and a B section on the drums. Like that's the melody. And he's going to, he plays that and he does the whole bebop form Right of like here's the here's the A here's the B now I'm gonna solo, and then he comes back to the head, you know, and it's sort of like look you can do that just on the fucking drums, right? We did at the music school I was teaching at we did a faculty recital and I did a version of this, um, cool, and uh, it was funny because I'm like next to all these like fucking just masters of performance like degree having classical musician types who are like gonna play in these fucking all over the fucking you know just this incredible fucking classical music you know okay and and i'm like all right well i'm gonna make some shit up (laughs) y'all um (laughs) but you know it was fun man it it, it, they they all loved it It was great whatever worked out yeah it, it was great um and so then it sort of gets into this next sort of block of stuff, which is I got a hold of the Ken Burns five CD set. Okay, so was this was this I was curious about that. I didn't look it up or anything, but was this like a documentary that he did on jazz? Yes, and it's an incredible documentary, okay. highest possible recommendation. Okay. I was not able to get a hold of the documentary at the time. Gotcha. Um, I was only able. I I spent like fucking eighty dollars or some shit or seventy dollars buying the fucking five CD box set nice. of it. You know, God, because I was like, oh, this has all the important fucking songs on it. I guess seventy, eighty dollars for a five CD box set seems so that, insane. Isn't that crazy? But I know I paid it for some shit. And uh, and and I would just like fucking put a CD in my car, and that would be what I would listen to for the week, and then I'd do the next one. I'm just trying to fucking absorb this music, like just floundering. Um, <laughs> and there's so much great stuff on there. Like I, it, it's it's a great compilation. The documentary is incredible. Highest possible recommendation on the documentary. I wish I'd have been able to see it then, but I couldn't. I couldn't get a hold of it then. Um, I think. Let me look at the. Did you add something besides what's on? 
the spreadsheet. I need to let me just look at the playlist because I feel like there were four of these tracks instead of three on the playlist. Um, uh, hang on, let me get there real quick. What was it called? Oh, really jazz. Okay, here we go. Um, EBGB's Black Beauty, Jump Into the Wood side and St. Thomas. Uh-huh. What's missing from there? So there's also uh, Strange Fruit, which is also on there, but it's just not. Um, I put it in a different spot. Are okay, they're they all they're all they are all on here. You just have this listed as Saxophone Colossus versus. Oh yeah, that's I, why. I see. That's I see. why. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think all four of these tracks I actually knew. Mm-hmm. Which was I didn't expect. That's that's pretty awesome. And so, you know, I just sort of went and just sort of cherry picked for the to kind of like for this one, um, for for the ones that were on there because it's kind of hard because it's sort of like, okay, well, some of this stuff would be very like clearly these are the seeds for what would be important to me later. Mm-hmm. You know, but who knows how it fucking hit me at the time. I didn't hear it and be like, fuck yeah, Louis Armstrong, motherfuckers. But right. at some point when I got into New Orleans music and got into brass band stuff, you know, I was like, oh, dude, Louis was on to some shit, you know. And so, so you know, I wanted to put some Louis Armstrong on there. It was particularly like sort of a brass band kind of vibe. I wanted to. And there was like no percussion on there, really. I feel like it's there. If it, if it is way in the back, but I didn't all really right. notice anything at all. Hold on. Let's go to the tape. I'll tell you. Roll it back. Well, and I mean, like, yeah, like the way that... The way that shit was recorded, yeah, you can't... Oh, like, maybe, sure, sure. Yeah, maybe not. I, I couldn't notice anything, at least. Yeah, it's hard to tell, but... But like you know, like you you have like a whole band gathered around one fucking microphone, and you couldn't have, like you couldn't have the bass drum close to the microphone because all that air would like actually just break the fucking microphone <laughs> and shit like that. So you the know, drummer sitting off like twenty feet that way, and kinda, everyone's huddled around the mic. Kinda, right? yeah. And so, uh, so yeah, man. I just and even just listen back, man. That shit just makes me so happy. It just makes me smile. I, I love that shit. And I, 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 it was later on that I would really kind of fall in love with New Orleans music specifically. And, and that kind of, that became extremely important to me. But this was probably the first time I heard it. Gotcha. So you got to have some Duke Ellington. Yeah, yeah. Like the, these, these tracks, I, like I said, I sort of knew all these somehow or another. Uh, Jump into the Woodside and uh, St. Thomas specifically are things where I was like, oh, fuck, it's this song. Oh, okay, cool. cool. Let's do this. Oh, that's great, man. That's hilarious. So yeah. St. So St. Thomas is – so now we sort of get into before, – before we do that. So isn't it crazy how on that Black Beauty track – isn't it crazy how like Duke Ellington is able to sound like a full fucking band by himself? <laughs> oh, is he? Oh. To me. To me, like it. Oh, it I realize it was, and I don't. I guess I don't know what you mean. I'll have to go back and listen to it again. Okay, because it's just with him. That it's mind. just solo fucking piano. Okay, so it is just him. Oh, okay. And, and, it, and it and it and it's like, oh, this makes me feel this the way that that this makes me feel the 
the same way that this would feel if a full band, like if you had a drummer and you had a bassist and you had like, he's somehow sort of with, you know, minimally covering like all of the fucking bases. And right. I think that's what makes one of the things that makes him so important. Uh, so, all right. So now when we get into sort of St. Thomas, there's sort of this gray area, right? Of, so after I joined the band, the next step was Joel was like, all right, well, you're auditioning for the Allstate band. Oh, shit. Surprise. Um, and and so, so St. Thomas was one of the, the, one of the tryout tunes. Okay. And so I had to learn a, a, a Calypso beat for it. And um, I still remember uh that whole so that whole thing um because he gave me he, he was like all right well here's three different calypso beats you can use the one that you want right and so one is like this kind of between the hi-hat and the snare like a you know pretty straightforward you know and then and then the other one was like a little more fancy this one's like almost like a 311 beat where you're doing like a open hi-hat thing, like like a, you know, like. Okay, I know, I know what you mean. <laughs> right? And, um, and then he was like, or you can do this one. <laughs> and this, and it had like this four-way coordination thing going where you're doing the hat on two and four and you're doing a, like a don't 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 with your feet and then doing a, this kind of fucking thing like going between like a cross stick and a tom and you know just this shit's going everywhere right and like for me at the time this blew my fucking mind i was like how can you even fucking do this right (laughs) but i don't know man i I had some free time that weekend and i felt i felt froggy so i learned that beat and i had to learn it one note at a time i was like all right so on that first okay so i'm gonna do the fucking (laughs) it's gonna be the you literally had to teach your body how to move in that way to learn That's, that beat. It's like, okay, the first beat is going to be the, the bass drum and 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 the, the ride cymbal. Okay. Ah. All right. right. And then the second one is just ride cymbal. Wait, no, it's ride and snare. Okay. And then the second one is... And so I did all that, and I programmed the whole thing into my body, and I got it sounding good, right? And I go in, and I play it, and I'm like, you know... And I'm like, didn't I do good? And he was like, where's the hi-hat? <laughs> no! <laughs> you got to put the hi-hat on two and four. <laughs> and I was like, and I couldn't do it. I couldn't I couldn't just like add it in. Right. I had to go back to square because one. Because you didn't build it up that way. Yeah, I had yeah. to reprogram it, you oh, know. Oh, shit. So, and then check it out. The audition process is what we had to do. I had to like play the fuck, like put the fucking tape of the um, tryout music which was like without drums, right? Put that through a PA, put the speakers behind me, right? And then put another tape recorder out in front of the drum set oh. and record it. And, oh, wow. And then I sent the tape. <laughs> I mailed the tape. <gasps> TMEA auditions, you wow. know? 
<laughs> weird. Yeah. But also, like, understandable in a weird way. The fuck else were you going to do in, yeah. in 2002? Right. Um, fuck. Right. And so, but I ended up getting in, which was crazy. I like was like second chair. So I ended up playing percussion. And the drummer that was first chair, that dude is, I'm still not as good as that guy. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, damn. But yeah, so I, that was, I had to, I wanted to include St. Thomas for that fucking reason. So that's a great, that's a great song. It's great. And it's Max Roach on there also again. So, yeah. Um, he sort of just really kind of laid out the vocabulary and sort of like, and the thing, this is going to sound like I'm talking shit on him, but whatever. Um, I feel like when you listen to Max Roach's playing, you can hear that his vision is almost sort of beyond his technical ability. Um, like the way that he conceives of the drums, the way that he conceives of the music is is bigger, and 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 more grand, and and that's kind of like there's almost like a an, an a punk rock prof- professor vibe to him because he's like he's he's going all the way to the edge, like he's not he's not really worried about like kind of keeping it together I guess, but there's also something very sort of like. Um, I don't know. It's very difficult to describe without sounding like I'm insulting. Um, but it's just like you compare him to what would come later, which was like Tony. And Tony just like just everything is just perfect. Like everything is like that's exactly what he meant to fucking do. Right. Like a, a, the role, a, a, the articulation is all just crisp, you know, and like you get that feeling from Max. It's like, he's going for something like he's, he's, he's reaching beyond because he has this idea of what he's trying to express and, and the concept of it. But it's, it's, it's like, you know, but then again, he's like a fucking pioneer. Right. So, you know, it's like, what standard should you fucking hold him to? You know? Yeah. No, I get that feeling. Like I, I remember, I, I can remember feeling that way about some guitarists in, uh, kind of in the sixties, I guess maybe even Hendrix a little bit in a mm. way, in a way where it just feels like he's out of control trying to like channel some bullshit from deep within. And here's how he gets it out. Here's yeah. just how he gets it out. But right. then you got somebody like David Gilmore, Pink Floyd uh-huh. who plays exactly what he wants to play exactly right. how he wants to play it. And it's just as amazing both ways, but it's two very different. Yeah. Like there's this, I think there's, I think it was, a, I think it's Ian McKay, McKay, Fugazi. And Minor Threat. Yeah. Um, but I I'm I think he has a quote talking about some shit of I got a lot of quotes, huh? <laughs> He's only said one thing ever. <laughs> and it's about and it's the thing that I know about. <laughs> um but I uh, but but something sort of to the effect like there's like a charm of when people are trying to sort of play music that's like right outside of their ability. And sort of this idea of, of, of that, that sound of like, of that sound of, of reaching. Yeah. You know, and that sort of, there's a certain urgency and, a, and, and magic to that. And, yeah. you know, like it, it makes me think of sort of like those early thrash metal records and, and things like that of, or, or, which is like a double edged sword in a sense, because, um, 
it <laughs> it uh it created an idea that the way that you record stuff in the studio is you go in and you just got to get that one right take. Like you don't have to actually be able to do this stuff all the time, every time. Right. You just got to get it good enough once on the studio and then live. You just need to make sure you bleed everywhere and it'll be fine. Pretty much. Yeah, exactly. Um, if, if, is... you can, if you can prove the one time that you can do it, that's all you need. Cause then people can just listen to that. Right. And then from then on, just like prove to everyone that you meant it. Yeah. <laughs> Basically. Yeah. Whether, yeah. Yeah. Whether yeah, you yeah. can do it or not. It's like, right. Right. Remember that shit back here. You heard, look at it. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, no, it doesn't matter because I'm fucking like my sticks are, I'm every hit. My elbow is above my ear and right. You know, like, I mean, I remember seeing like fucking us seeing Slipknot in like 2003, right. Whenever volume three came out. Um, I'm pretty sure it's 2003. It might be 2004. I don't know. Whatever. Can't remember. Um, it was at Verizon or whatever it was called at that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like fucking Joey's got fucking popcorn. <laughs> you know, fucking double bass happening, and it's just like, oh well, that happens sometimes. <laughs> this shit's not permitted now. That like the standard of metal drumming live is so today much, today. Today you can you can't fucking you lose your goddamn job you fucking do that shit you know like you can't and part of huh. it is just that like people are used to experience used to hearing perfection you know yeah. what I mean all the time like you can't like if you go to like a death metal festival like a like summer slaughter or something like that from like the band that starts at three in the afternoon all the way up. You will the shittiest band on the bill. You're you're not gonna hear that. It's a rock solid uh, meter the entire time. The whole the, <laughs> you know, um, mm. so it just it's just it's just interesting, <clears throat> sort of how that how that has sort of changed, you know. Um, but yeah, that that's been a hard one for me to adjust to. Yeah, because I was all all just that. That was like the one thing I could do that no one else could do was I could just like go raw on the fucking draw. Like no, no one could go raw like quite like I could. So that was the <laughs> thing that, you know, of course, I was sloppy because I was like playing as hard and as fast as I could all the time. <laughs> right. Which I mean, at the time was like a novel sort of thing in our space, at least. Right, right. So. Yeah, it was very novel because we weren't, <laughs> we weren't trying to sound good. <laughs> <laughs> well, arguably, neither were the bands that weren't going raw the whole time. But yeah, that's well, beside the point. Yeah, like, well, we we never had a bassist, or we didn't have a consistent <laughs> bassist. Yeah, um, what a weird thing to say now. Like, I mean, well, Ricky was there for a solid like year or two. Yeah, he was there for a bit. Um, and so, but when we really like came into our own, we were, yeah, sans. So we were like, oh, this is not dance music. This is, <laughs> this is, <laughs> you know, no one's gonna move or groove to this. This is just pure, blah. yeah. Um, right. Uh, how fast are we playing it tonight? <laughs> I don't know, Richard. <laughs> <laughs> how fast are you gonna go? How, you know. So faster than normal, okay. 
but um, yeah, I, 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 I don't know. Yeah. It was fun. It, I, I imagine. Yeah. It. There is this thing too, right? Which is if you can't, if you're not going to be able to go out there and like be fucking perfect machine, sound like Fear Factory or Meshuggah, then then you probably shouldn't try. Like just just go be a mess. <laughs> Just, you know, just go put on a good show and be a mess, maybe. Yeah, do what, do what you feel. I don't know what that has to do with Max Roach, but <laughs> but here we are. Um, but the weather report. Yeah, so what do you think of this one? Uh, th- I knew this one as well. There's been some other versions of it, too. Yeah. The Buddy Rich Big Band did a lot of versions of it. Okay. So, uh, so yeah, how'd this one hit you? Uh... I think the second time I listened to the playlist, I skipped like halfway through it because <laughs> I was like, "This is just gonna go on for a long time, isn't it?" I know what this is. So, okay, let <laughs> let, let me let me back up a little bit and yeah, sort of address this whole thing generally. Yeah, which is there isn't a lot, so despite the fact that I knew some of these tunes here, there isn't a lot of this that I would feel compelled to sit and just listen to. Mm-hmm. I I get the idea and I enjoy that idea and I appreciate that idea. But note for note, second by second, it doesn't always do a lot for me. Uh and it like I said like I said before like when we started out like this to me generally typically is more like it's not something I seek out to listen to, mm-hmm. despite the fact that I listen to a lot of jazz-inspired stuff. It's more like I'm I could be cool with this in the background, but I'm not gonna put it on. Yeah. Cause for some reason, it's just not the sort of thing that I seek out. Uh and it's not even that it doesn't a lot of, it's not even that it all doesn't do a lot for me. It's just that like I don't know. There's something intangible about it that I don't quite understand. Right. Uh, or not. Mm-hmm, that's a bad way to say it. Not that I don't comprehend what's going on. It's just that it's not quite what I'm looking for at all times. Um, it's a pretty unique. It. it like, yeah. I would need to be in a very specific headspace doing very specific things to put straight up jazz or bebop or you know anything. Right. I. I don't think I was really able to really get my head around it. Because now I love all of it. Yeah. Well, hold on. Um, put a pin in that. I want to specify that. I don't, I don't know that it's – I don't understand it. Maybe it is. I think I do pretty well. It's just that some of it is like, okay, I see what you're doing. I got you. I'm good. Right. And, and so I can really – I – I can really enjoy listening to this. I, I thoroughly love almost all of the stuff on the play on this playlist, which I'll address that in a second. Okay. Um, but like all the Art Blakey stuff, the Miles Davis stuff, I thoroughly love that through and through. All of it, the Louis Armstrong, dude, all all of it. Um, but I I didn't whenever I was first exposed to it. And I think yeah. that it took, it took me having more contextual awareness 
about how this music was created, how this music was performed live, mm-hmm. how, you know, all these missing pieces to sort of understand the aims and the, and the, the goals and, and the headspace of the musicians performing this music to sort of be able to almost, um, and, and seeing a lot of live jazz myself. Yeah. Cause that's a big part of it. I feel like, like, yeah. And, and, and then it started to sort of become, you know, now I can sort of, you know, when I listen to this, I, I imagine being in the room, right. I imagine, you know what I mean? And I sort of have like this, it's not just about the sound. It's also about these, these, these guys getting together you know, or, you know, like these people getting together and fucking making magic out of nothing. Right. And it's more about the artistry at that point. That's I guess that's a good way to say it. That makes sense. And 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 I think that that heightens my appreciation for it. And and also what makes it what keeps it interesting is just how sophisticated the language of jazz is and and how they're just it just it just keeps going like there's just no end to the no you know that that's a very deep well and you start to sort of you know you you almost want to and it's interesting because it's one of those art forms that you can get extremely intellectual with and digest and break apart but you can also just completely turn all that sort of shit off and just like you want it, you know, like you hear that you hear what's going on and you almost want to try to imagine what solo you would play or like imagine like wh- where do you hear the notes going? Right. And then how the soloist deviates from that expectation yeah. becomes this source of constant surprise and, and magic and the artistry of it. I can totally see that. Yeah, Absolutely. And so, all that being said, I don't particularly like this Birdland track. <laughs> uh, so, I, uh, it's important. It has Wayne Shorter on it. Wayne Shorter coming back, you know, is probably yeah. the first track that I heard that was a bona fide fusion track. Um, you know, jazz plus rock. Um and you know you have Yako Pastorius on the bass, you right. know, and and his playing is incredible. How he floats from supporting the rhythm and supporting the melody, and he'll just kind of like do one and the other and both at the kind same all at the same time. Yeah, right, right. Which is which is very like very amazing to listen to. But I don't I don't particularly like this track. I it, it feels like an intro. It feels like the song never starts. It feels like just one fucking like one big blue ball fucking intro. And I don't I don't know. I can't tell you why. Um I think I agree with that. I think that there's something else interesting about this track, which is it sort of shows to me that because it was done in the 70s. And I think it shows how like some of the rock bands were better at using the studio as an instrument than the jazz guys were because there's layers. This is like the only, this is like maybe the only track on here that has like overdubs and shit. Mm, Okay. Yeah. And you can just like tell like y'all aren't as good at this yet. 
And it might be budget reasons. Like, you know, not as many people were buying weather report records as were buying Pink Floyd records, right? So they mm -hmm. didn't have like months in the studio to do those perfect layers the exact right way and all that sort of shit to, you know, but it it is... What year was this? I think it was like 77. 77, yeah. Okay, yeah. You know, so, but it's... That would have been around the time where, where a lot of that shit was being uh, figured out and pioneered as mm -hmm. well. Because, like, the... the um, uh, Dark Side of the Moon was, like, one of the first or at least one of the biggest albums early on to be recorded in, like, quadraphonic sound. Uh-huh. And, like, whatever the fuck that meant. Yeah, what, well, yeah. At the time. <laughs> like, all, all sorts of different studio techniques were being pioneered then. So right. it also kind of makes sense that if that wasn't a thing up to that point for jazz uh, recordings, then maybe they weren't too focused on right. it. Right. Well, I so. mean, and the Beatles were doing shit like that. You know, like they were using the studio as an instrument, you yeah. know, but like jazz guys didn't fucking have to. Yeah, exactly. You yeah. know, so of course they were going to be behind the curve on that a little bit. Uh, but yeah. again, I might be totally, there's probably some people who'd be real mad at me about right now. And, and please, I can see that being the case, so, whether it was or not. So tell, you know, if you're mad at, <laughs> mad about me saying that, then bless you for listening this far. Jump, jump in the comments. And... Tell, tell me about it. And, uh. I would love to be educated about it. <laughs> um, all right. So, yeah, I, I, I don't – this track is probably my – it's like – it's the only track on this place I don't like particularly like, but I wanted to include it because it was my – it would have been an, an important anchor point for other things. So Gotcha. All right. So this next one. Count, Count Bubba. Count Bubba. Um, this is, it's, so this has all of the quintessential big band, especially like a modern big band kind of songs, you know, it has, there's lots of hits and turns and, you know, stops and starts and, and all this sort of stuff. There's really nice melodies and you have all these group unison figures in the horns and different horn sections and all that sort of stuff. There's like, quote unquote, like nice digestible solos um, and there's a big chopping outro, you know, you know, um, so I wanted to include it because it's just such a good example of so many of these fucking charts I've had to play. <laughs> um, this was, I don't, rem I don't think, I think this was one of the ones we performed at TMEA. I don't think that this was one of the tryout pieces. Okay. Or it might have been. I don't. I don't know. Because all you have here is Team EA, all state band. Um, but yeah, it's it's kind of a cool track, you know. So, yeah, it it's it's nice. It's nice. It's a good. It's a good example of like just. There's just so much going on, and there's just it's such. I don't know. It's a unique flavor, you know. Um. And it's and it and it honors. You can kind of connect it to the jumping at the woodside sort of thing. Like those are, you know, like that to the Buddy Rich to that. You know, there's they're all sort of part of that like big band. And there's a certain like bombastic thing that the big band is putting across. Absolutely. You, you know, that's um, that was something I didn't really get when I was doing it in college that I understood better now is you know 
because they were like, well, play louder. I was like, you don't want me to. <laughs> you, don't want me, you don't want me to play it's louder. Like, you're not. It's like, I know <laughs> you're not asking for what you want. <laughs> you do not know for what you ask. Um, <clears throat> but it, it again, it's sort of like, it's like, well, what the, f it's like so much of how I played was tied to my, was especially early on as a drummer, it was tied to my emotions, mm -hmm. right? And it was like, this music doesn't make me want to hit hard. How can I possibly hit hard? <laughs> um, so I tended to play that music when I was younger, very timidly, you know, because I was very un, I wasn't very confident you know, with it. And, you know, later on, I understand that, you know, the most important role of the drummer is just to keep, you know, it's like, you got to keep that time. You got to keep the feel. You got to keep that momentum going and whatnot. Yeah. And, and playing big band stuff in college actually kind of fucked up my phrasing in a way. <laughs> Cause you have to push as a drummer. You kind of have to push like on the, because, for whatever reason, you know, like the, 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 it, it's, you know, everyone else is going to have like kind of a tendency to drag. Like mm. they're going to want to like, because, you know, you're trying to, but but did it, but you know, you're, you're trying to swing out, like the horns are trying to swing all those figures. It's just very easy for you to go, but da, but da, but da, but da, but da, you know, like, yeah. They're going to yeah. want to hang back. So you, you got to play like, you got to just, <laughs> but not, it, it's hard to, articulate that concept of like playing ahead of the beat you know but but anyway it's you just kind of know that you're always having to counteract this this possible force right and it's a and it's a thing that i am now when i'm recording and doing studio stuff and i look at the grid and i'm like god damn it man i am always hitting i've always a little bit before the click track. I'm always a little bit before where I should be. I got to stop that shit. God damn it. <laughs> uh, uh. So, um, but yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's a good track. And then, and then the, the last three are really, this is, this is the crown jewel. This is all the other shit is fine. <laughs> okay. Right. Um, but at the time, these last three, these are the songs that affected me emotionally at the time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Strange Fruit, for obvious reasons, if you're not familiar with it, get familiar with it. Um, and kudos to everyone on every level that was involved in putting that song out because it only would have taken one coward to be like, I don't know. I'm not sure. Ah, you know, so because that I, did I put a date on when that came out? Like fucking 30s or some shit. 1939. Fuck. Billy Holiday. So. Yeah. Had you heard that before? I feel like I probably had. Maybe, mm -hmm. but I'm not positive. Yeah, I'd heard of it for sure. Yeah, and there's a lot of there's a lot of like Nina Nina Simone did a cover of it, and lots of other people have done covers of it. But you know, Billie Holiday's the OG. Yeah. So she also has another track, uh, really, you know, or other really famous track that was on that Ken Burns compilation called Solitude, which uh, mm. also affected me at the time because I was like, oh, this is like. And again, I feel so ignorant saying that shit now, but I was like, oh, these are like, what do you mean? Like jazz is like, what do you mean? It's like, 
uh, real songs. What do you mean it's like real songs? I didn't think real songs happened until, you know. Like 1950-something. Yeah. Like, what do you mean? Like, though they sing lyrics that, that like, relate to life and stuff bef- before Elvis Presley and the Beatles? Are you serious? <laughs> I just I feel so <laughs> – you know what I mean, but it's just – what do you mean? I yeah. thought it was just I thought it was just like my boyfriend's back. I thought that was like the first song ever made about anything. <laughs> uh so All right, and then we get to the fucking last two. Yes. And the last So how did how did these hit you? I mean, Love Supreme like the whole time was fucking great. Great fucking track until you get to the lyrical part. That that it. fucked you up. I was like, "What the fuck are you doing? Why are you doing this?" Really? Oh man! I was like, just stop doing that. Just stop. No. What are you it, doing? It, it for me, it gets to that, and it like it just spirals into the stratosphere for me. I thought like, it was like funny. I didn't think it was effective at doing anything. I was like, "Why are you doing this?" Okay, that's kind of funny. Oh man, it it uh. I guess <laughs> that that is not how it makes me feel. It, to, it, to be clear, it's just it, is it Coltrane doing it or is it somebody else fucking doing it? I think it might be. I think it's him. It is, might this, be. is it some dude? The song's been playing for like fucking five minutes, and then all of a sudden, someone starts going, "Love Supreme, Love Supreme." He's not love just Supreme, saying it though. He's saying, it's Supreme, the baseline. Love Supreme, you know, like Love Supreme. Oh, there, there, love there's Supreme, notes there, you asshole. Su- I don't think that there is. You are wrong. Okay, I'll I believe you, but it sounded pretty fucking monotone to me. No. Okay. You need you need to listen again. Okay, maybe so. You need to listen again. Um I'm trying to see like if if they're gonna tell me who who did the vocals on it. Okay. Um I can't I can't find the easy answer here. So <laughs> like there's like the dumbest fucking like Google question. I was like, I love Supreme vocals, and it was like, who sang a love supreme? <laughs> And it's like John Coltrane, the album. Da, 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 you know. Here are the general yeah. credits for the yeah, yeah yeah. It's like God damn it. Yeah. Um. Anyway, I find it. I whatever. I'll I'll listen to it again to see how that hits me again. Thinking about it, but it hit me fucking goofy. That's okay. So that's okay. I'm I'm I am amazed that I like. <sighs> lots of people don't fucking like this record. Really. Um. So to me, it's transcendent fucking perfection i it's hard for me to put into words uh because this this was the first time that i had an emotional response to jazz music that was as intense as the emotional response i had to you know metal music and all the other stuff i listened to um this was it Mm. and so I, you know, it's it's pretty sacred, hallowed music for me. Gotcha. Um, and yeah, it's hard. It's hard. It's hard for me to even describe it because it just it, you know. And it's funny because it hits. I've talked about this before, but for whatever reason, this and that Emperor record. Anthems to the Welkin at Dusk sit in similar spheres to me. And hmm. like, I don't, it's hard for me to explain why, but there is this sort of yearning to both of these 
And there's also this sense. I, I don't think that if I if, if I hadn't spent the time listening to anthems over and over again when I was a teenager, trying to sort of de- decipher it and, and and getting that sort of reward at the end, I don't think I would have had the patience to ex- to really go on this journey at all, mm-hmm. but but especially to sort of like accept and recognize the depth of Love Supreme. Interesting. So I, I, I'm probably the only wacko walking around that 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 has a similar emotion with those two records. <laughs> um, Not many, I know that much. But it's there's a sort of there's like a sort of like spiritual yearning to me on both of those, you know, and like because that's that's like the Coltrane thing is it's like like hey I'm. I'm trying to talk to God. Keep up. Or don't, whatever. <laughs> like I, this horn is a is is a is a implement, is a is a communication device <laughs> as I am trying to 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 communicate with that which is most high, you know. And and what's interesting to me, if you want to like look at it and kind of take it apart, is if you compare the way so this is also the only track on here that has Elvin Jones on drums, which is probably like my favorite jazz drummer. Um, and if you compare how he is just so wrapped up in what Coltrane is playing and so reactive to what he's doing, and you compare that to sort of how Jimmy Cobb was reacting to Coltrane on Kind of Blue. Mm-hmm. And Jim cuz Jimmy Cobb is like just do you, man. Just do you. I'll hold it down. Just do you. You know. Right. And like Elvin is like, oh, "I'll come with you." <laughs> right. "I'll come with you. I got you." Okay, yeah, it's whatever. Yeah, man. Like a kind of a simultaneous parallel supportive fury is yeah. is what Elvin is providing. For Coltrane, you know, it's just constant, just fucking kindling to that fire, you know, just, yeah, yeah, go, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so they they have a very sort of like symbiotic sort of thing going on. And, um, awesome. Yeah. It's, it's, it's beautiful transcendent shit. I can't say enough great things about it. It's super fucking important to me. Cool. I, th- um, I think I understand that a little bit at least. So, and, uh, it just so happened that I checked that. So I, I, I checked, I would go to the Baytown library and check out fucking jazz CDs. Right. And so it just so happened that I checked out this CD and the next one, Roy Hargrove's Havana Cresol. Mm -hmm. I don't know why I checked out that. I knew that I, cause I'd already heard about Love Supreme, right? Yeah. You know what I mean? And I... I think that this track is even on the Ken Burns CD set, mm. but for whatever reason in the context there, it just didn't mean a fucking thing to me. It didn't mean anything to me until I checked out the CD as a whole and listened to the whole album um, for whatever reason, you know, that right. is the first track, but so, um, but I, I, you know, I'd heard about Coltrane. So I was like, Oh, this is, this is the one, this is the important one. Let me get this one. <sighs> 
I don't I don't know why I got the Roy Hargrove CD. I really don't. I might have had a sticker on it that said Grammy winner. Um, <laughs> it, on the back of it, it might have had the personnel listed and had Horacio Hernandez on drums, which I had recognized from Modern Drummer names and stuff. I don't know why. But right. that... Something made you pick it up. And that this track here is, to me, it's... 10 minutes of the most perfect music to ever exist. It's good. <laughs> it's all right. It's all right. Um, With my heathen palate, I can say that it is good. Yeah, I don't. Like, it's just 10. It's just, it's just 10 fucking minutes of just pure perfection to me exactly what does it for you and 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 the idea that it's just like yeah this is all man, we all plays at the same fucking time we're just all in a room here fucking and just like you just get like that many fucking people all being perfect all at the same time for 10 fucking minutes and the way the things come in and out the way what instrument is leading changes and you know the way the 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 like that like guitar hook that comes in that comes back later and the first like two or three minutes the percussion that you hear in the background like that's everything i had like like that was like a whole template for me like it was like okay well this is everything i want to try to accomplish as a percussionist right here on these first like just few minutes i'll just try to replicate this you know um damn yeah. So how did how did how did this one hit you? It was it was great. It was like I I I can't I can't not divide up my opinions on these on any of these tracks between do I enjoy it mm -hmm. and do I appreciate slash like respect it mm. and they all fall into the second camp because they're all like amazing music right right right, right. but you're like I wouldn't listen to this exactly I mean. That's just I don't know what it is about it that that makes it fall that way, but it always kind of does. Whereas like, this is obviously all amazing shit. Right. The artistry on display here is like, I can't even fathom. I can't. There's no way I could get that. Yeah. I could. I could follow it. Like, I couldn't slide myself into the. Like you said earlier. Like, I definitely do the thing where I imagine like while I'm listening to it. Like, mm -hmm. what would I do here? Like, right. what what comes to my mind when I hear these things? Right. Where would yeah, I yeah. steer this? Uh -huh. And like, I can't do this. Not how my musical mind works. Right. Uh, so I could never get to. I I have trouble appreciating it on that level, but I can appreciate the fact that they can do that. Mm -hmm. And like, fucking, that's pretty incredible. Right. But for some reason, it just doesn't hit me the same way where it's like, I want to be listening to this. Yeah, yeah, You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. And I mean, and, and honestly, it's not a music that I go to often because it it affects me so much. Oh, shit, okay. So it's like, it's not... The, the exact opposite reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> I, can't, I can't listen to... You can't like, handle it. I can't listen to this track often or, or, or fucking Love Supreme often because I can't do anything else. I, I understand what you mean, though, because I have songs like that for me, too. Yeah, like, so, I, I, it's like, oh, this is what I'm fucking doing. I'm I'm sitting here, like... To sound like a huge fucking nerd, like, some of the tracks from the last podcast, the video game shit, uh -huh. like, one of those near tracks, like, bring, almost brings me to tears when I hear it. Sure. 
so yeah, I understand. I understand what you're saying there for sure. Right, 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 right. And and I I I honestly so I think that <laughs> I seriously can't fucking believe that I discovered both of these records in the same <laughs> fucking day. Right. From the Baytown library of all the And and I I almost feel that I have that this is the that's the sole reason that I still will go digging in record shops to this day. Might just be I'm still chasing the dragon. Um, right, for that off chance that something happens. That, 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 that I'm going to find two things like this in the same fucking day. I just, it's, it's so fucking. These days you're just hoping for one, much less two. Uh, one out, out of every 10 visits. Right, right, You right, know, right. just every 10 visits, something that just makes you, wow, you know? And like, and I got like two of these fucking life changing fucking things in one fucking day. But that, I mean, but that's, that's, Man. that's kind of like what, what being young is about too. So, you know, <laughs> that's, yeah. that's kind of how that shit works. I mean, you know, statistically over time, there will be fewer of those amazing things to discover. Oh yeah. Well, and I mean, and it just did, uh, you know, you have to sort of wonder like the set and the setting of like, Oh, absolutely. Of like, I fucking. Turns but, out context fucking matters. <laughs> yeah of like oh man take the cd da, da, da. you know take it home i gotta wait till i get home because the cd player in my car is fucking broken you know or whatever but also like what are you looking for what's gonna hit you a certain way where are you at in your life who yeah. are you at that time right right and, and too I, many different variables to what was for. so important about both of those was it was the first time that i found an emotional anchor in this music right up to that point it had mostly just i was really just trying to be a good student sure you know i didn't really get it i i can have a i have an emotional attachment to these things now because i have so much more knowledge and and awareness and and i've and i know i've known i've been very lucky to know and meet actual jazz musicians now and so that helped sort of really cleanse the palate on like oh okay like it's not just a fucking old head gatekeeper music so you know that that really helped helped me sort of open my mind to a lot of things about it right you know so yeah yeah like i like i said at the, the beginning like i enjoyed all of it so it almost so this is this is not what you're saying, but it I'm reminded of it for some reason. So I remember when I was playing percussion in um the unfortunately named Michael Band. <laughs> um it should have been called the Michael Flores band, is what it should have been called. But you know, whatever reason, they decided to go. They they that that was the name before I joined. So, but I was playing percussion. We were playing at like a battle of bands in downtown or something like that. Jeremy was living downtown, or living uh living in Houston. So yeah. he came to a show. And and like he sat sort of close to the stage, and I just played my ass off. Like I just went for it man we all did like every time i always ended up in bands where like that was like the thing it's like every time like from the fucking jump you just went for it mm -hmm. you know like you 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 just you played it as you just put as much of your soul as you could possibly put into every single performance i always ended up in 
fucking bands where that was that was like, of course that's what you would do. Doesn't matter that we're playing for fucking three people for this bout. It doesn't matter. What else would you do? <laughs> so I'd like play that way and and um and then at the end of it, it's like so Jer so I was like, you know, it's like, oh hey Jeremy, you know, so what do you think? Or whatever. And this is like my musical brother, okay? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he says, I really respect your ability to play shitty music authentically. <laughs> you could have just like kept it in the in the middle of the road, but you had to swerve off. You you weren't gonna swerve this way. That was never an option, but you didn't have to swerve all the way this way. <laughs> Oh, damn. <laughs> yeah, it's oh, like <laughs> Love you, Jeremy. <laughs> hope you hope you're doing good in the in in uh in Norland <laughs> Norlandavia, wherever wherever you're wherever you're PhDing at uh these days. Oh. Um But yeah, and it, and it well I guess what is it what's so amusing to it? Musing about it is that he uh, he really meant that he that was that was the nicest thing he could muster like that was him like he really did mean that it's like a it's, I don't I don't doubt that that wasn't a genuine thing it was it's it almost like a sort of like sincere like this like stumbling him into trying to well I can't lie but I have to say a positive thing what is the positive thing I, I want to get my honest opinion across. But this is my best friend and my, you know, like, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. And so I, it, uh, <laughs> and there's also like this expectation of like, Richard, you know, just as well as I do that this music is objectively bad. <laughs> and I know that, you know, it's kind of crap because so, let's be real. Cause you and I make music. We write songs together. I know that, you know, that this is objectively terrible and yet i just saw you put your heart into it and i think i respect that he's trying to like square these two things yeah he's having like you can't he can't you but we but how can you how can you know so well um yeah it's it's a funny thing and and yeah like my So, but so hopefully, me saying that I enjoy the playlist overall does not come off as I didn't use any harsh words in there at the very least. It's funny. It's just it it just it reminded it it Uh, it reminded me of of the Jeremy rhythm or like do you remember do you remember like whatever uh, the first time that uh, like y'all came to see Eden I think and like Jeremy's little brother Jacob who who was in Buff Wayne with us. But he was like, I yeah. I remember this, yes. I forget exactly what he said. I don't remember it either, but I remember your, your fucking reaction to it. <laughs> and then his, he was he was terrified. <laughs> <laughs> so so, the, so then you tell it, because I'm not sure I remember exactly. No, you go, no, you, no. Because I don't remember the exact words. I just remember the, the feeling. Okay, so. Is what I remember. I, I, I. <laughs> This is vaguely what I remember. Please correct me or elaborate. We so we just get Jacob in here and tell him. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. I'm sure he remembers. <laughs> <laughs> this is life flash before his eyes. So, 
Um, I had joined a band that was like more like a heavy version of Radiohead. So, um, but yeah, like a lot more. Was it Eden at the time? Yeah, it was. Okay, I feel like it was way earlier for some reason. That band, we were a band for a long time. (laughs) Okay, okay, fair. Um, and so, and so Jacob, Jeremy's little brother, who was also in a metal band with me <laughs> and you. <laughs> um, so he, he's used to seeing me in like a certain framework. Right. Yeah. And um, so he comes up to me like after the set and he, I don't, I think, it, I think what he said was like harsher than this, but what I remember was like, I, I didn't expect to see you in a band that, you know, like, had melodies. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it probably was harsher than that. And like, and the way that I heard it was like, I didn't expect you to see a band that like any band that was like good was sort of how I heard it. Um, or, yeah. or like, I didn't expect to see you in a band that, you know, like, like had actual I, talent. Right. Like I didn't think you cared about Melody, Richard. Like some shit like that. Yeah. Like this whole part, this whole aspect of music. Like I'm just bereft of knowledge of it, right? Uh-huh. And I think I responded with something to the effect of fuck you. It, and that was the that was the the energy. Absolutely. I was and, like, oh yeah, go fuck yourself. Turn around and walk away. Yeah, yeah. But, and I was like, all right, well, you know, of course, a fucking a Barnes is gonna Barnes. Fuck off. And then his reaction to that was very much like, oh, oh no, I didn't. He he, he was very he's very sweet. It was very sweet because then he yeah. came up later and he and he and he was like, like he didn't quite realize what it was that he had said to you or something. Yeah, because he probably wasn't used to people calling him <laughs> all that shit. Um. <laughs> And, uh-huh. and like, uh, but then he came up later and he was very sweet and he was, yeah. and, he, and he, and and it was, and it again, it was very cute. It was very endearing. Cause it was like, oh, you're, you're really not equipped linguistically to express nice things that you mean. Are you, you just don't have that. What the <laughs> fuck is wrong with you? And, and he said, uh, but yeah, he, he was like, what I meant to say was I didn't expect to see you in a band that didn't prioritize like heaviness and speed and intensity because those are the things I'm just so used to seeing you do. And I was like, Oh, well, okay. That makes, why didn't you fucking say that? That, (laughs) that, that's a nice thing to say. I I understand. Thank you. I get it. Why didn't you just say that? You know, it's like, ah, (laughs) you know? Yeah. So yeah. Bless those guys. Yeah. So totally. Alrighty. Well, that's it. We did a jazz. Yeah. Ah.